was jamming, jamming to the tune. Um, no, don't listen. No, <laughs> we will not know. Um, hello, hi, welcome to your aunties could never episode 51. I'm Auntie AK and I'm here with Auntie Farah, Auntie Nana, and Auntie Shade. Hi, my ladies, how are you doing? Good, 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 good. Yeah. 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 All right, all right, all right. It's all a bit strange. It was, um, do you know what? It feels like a long time since we've been on, in, in doing the episode. It feels like that week was long. I don't know. Time's moving fast, but I feel like it was a long time since we've done the episode. I don't know. Maybe, I don't, maybe it's just me. Do you not feel like that? No, I think okay. it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. And who are we welcoming to the family today? Okay, so um, I have been really impressed with a young gentleman called Tricky, who has a show on Link Up TV, and yeah, I just I watched I watched his episodes. Um, he had an episode with his dad, and I just felt like it was so candid and honest and insightful for being on Link Up TV just reaching out to a younger demographic, but actually having like real conversations. And then his latest episode, um, his latest one is with Mega Man, which is really good as well. But then before that, he had um, Alia Ali, who runs um, Daddyless Girls. And it was just really insightful, just the way he extracted her story about um, kind of being very promiscuous, uh, being on road. I just, I really respect him and I wish his hustle continues and he actually gets a show on Channel 4 or something. So I am welcoming Tricky to our family. Was he a nephew? Yes, yes. Slightly younger than us, not a lot, but slightly younger. Is he a cousin? I think he's probably about 30. He's a nephew cousin. Cousin nephew. He's a cousin. <laughs> well, welcome anyway, Tricky. Well done for all your great endeavours and cool. Okay, okay. What have you heard? What have you heard? This is part where I ask all you aunties, what have you heard in the news today? Um, I'd like to lead with Auntie Nana again. What have you heard in the news streets? Sorry, I was literally like just getting ready for whoever was going first can you just prompt me i mean it's in the running order fam that's what i was getting <laughs> that's what i was, was getting i think i was coming straight next <laughs> so i was just dilly dallying <laughs> hang on hang on hang on la 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 yeah. Can't hear you, Auntie Farah. You're cussing me on mute again. <laughs> I was actually saying, whilst you're doing that, Auntie Nana, I'm loving your hair. Yeah, yes. thank you, thank you, thank you. It's growing, man. It's growing. That's good. Okay, that's healthy. Right. I I remember my story now. I wanted us to take a memory lane <laughs> back to <laughs> Candy Braithwaite and the colorism saga. Very sure. So, or the racial war, yeah. Um, over the weekend, she actually released an article on The Guardian um, appealing to the nation to have a discussion about colorism. 
Um, there's various points in the article, and I urge everybody to go and have a read because I think she has some really interesting points um, and takes a trip down memory lane as a dark-skinned girl, what it was like for her in the playground. But again, I just wanted to revisit what happened with her and Rochelle. Because within this article, she actually says that she welcomed the backlash that Rochelle received. And it really struck me as um, quite astounding that there was no apology again, but also this thing of allowing black women to attack each other felt really weird. Um, so I just wanted you guys like thoughts on that. Just, is it me? Am I being oversensitive to there being a real um, mood where it's okay to just attack another black woman? Does that make sense? That's that. Those were the thoughts when I was reading the article. So I just wanted to know what you guys were thinking. Auntie Shade. Um. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. No, I don't. I don't think it's. Um. I don't think someone should be. Anyone should be attacked based on their color. Do you know what I mean? And if that comes under like colorism and stuff, I don't think people should be attacked based on that. I just think it's like. I still think I didn't read the article. Um, uh, so I don't know if there's any more additional insight that Candice has been able to give with regards to that situation with Rochelle. Um, but from what, you know, I don't think my position has changed from what, from what, what I understand of everything. Um, I do think that, um, you know, obviously we know we have issues with colorism in this country across the globe, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think like people... I think it is more than Rochelle that's responsible for this. Do you know what I mean? Or more than Rochelle that should be held accountable. Do you know what I mean? But I do think that, um, you know, it's just a bit tone deaf coming from Rochelle's side, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? But I don't think it gives... I don't know. I, I can't encourage bullying in any sort of way. <laughs> I just can't do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, And if that's if that's what she's... I don't know if that's what she's saying. So I don't want to say that she's saying that. She's not actually saying that. Do you know what I mean? But like, I just think it's weird. It, it, it's kind of is weird. But then at the same time, yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What, what I was going to say, it's just like, okay, she's writing an opinion piece. This is just her opinion. It doesn't mean that it has to be insightful, balanced, um, and have all those things. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to have those things because it's just her opinion. Um, and she's one woman, but by no means should Candice, to be honest, like she's not necessarily a voice for all dark skinned women. She just isn't. Do you know what I mean? She doesn't represent me as an individual, I don't think. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily agree with everything that she stands for either. So um, yeah, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I just don't think, what's the word? I don't think that she, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think she speaks for me. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's what I think. Auntie Farah. Sorry, I was trying to find the mute button. So I read the article and you're right, Auntie Nana, there wasn't an apology in there. I don't think you were being oversensitive. She didn't come for Rochelle exactly. Like she, she said, I lost out to a lighter skinned woman, but then she said, 
that she knew there was another documentary being made and she acknowledges that it was greenlit by a totally different production company. She acknowledges that the production company spoke to her and asked her to um, be a subject in it and she asked them why should I be a subject, why can't I present? And they explained to her what she had previously said about being, um, they want the presenters to go on the journey. What did I say? There's there's a word that they use, but they basically didn't want the presenter to have... um, first-hand knowledge of it I think is what they were trying to explain um she went down memory lane she made some very valid points some points that I think a lot of people out there need to hear um you know about how colorism affects dark-skinned women in particular and how it's not really acknowledged and it's a conversation that needs to be had to be fair what I found most interesting about the whole article wasn't her bit at all so there's a link on the article that links to a video and it's a video with about six or seven black women um all of different hues and in that video all of them were very very honest and very very open about all of their um all of their experiences and that to me resonated more than anything that Candice wrote an article you know they spoke about the fact that we need to acknowledge this amongst our community um, as lighter skinned women, we need to make sure that if we see this happening, we speak up about it and we call it out. As darker skinned women, we need to be there for our lighter skinned women as well and try to, you know, make sure that they get the point, but understand that they're coming from a different perspective. Um, it, it spoke about how it can be uncomfortable for a lighter skinned woman to even say stuff like that. So that little five and a half minute thing video. I would say go on Guardian, read her, read Candice's article, but definitely click on the link and watch that video because that resonated a lot more to me than anything she had to say. And I'm absolutely with you, Auntie Nana. It's not about tearing each other down. You're never going to solve anything if we tear each other down. Colorism started to begin with. It was about divide and conquer. And whilst it now has many different intricacies and is used in many different ways to separate us, it is about still separating us. And it's about who's using it to separate us. And rather than us using it against each other, let's look at it, let's acknowledge it, let's talk about it, and let's try to move on and make sure that it doesn't happen. Let's teach the next generation why it's wrong and how we could stamp it out. Let's go to the media and call them out about their colorism. Let's do that. But yeah, that's my opinion. I don't know if that answered your question, but that was Um, my opinion on the article. Yeah, and I was going to, because I was going to be a little bit more in-depth, in, go into what she actually said, because when I did read it, and I was thinking backlash, she didn't say she welcomed the backlash, but she actually said the storm that followed my post felt like it was a long time coming, and in some ways I welcomed it. So I think it's not as much, no, 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 I'm just saying, but in 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 some way I felt like it's, it was less that, because when you said that, she said backlash, and she was on it, it made me think, oh, did I miss something? So I didn't read it in that tone or that way that, yeah, I'm glad for the backlash. I'm glad it happened in regards to Rochelle. That's how it kind of, I heard it from how you said it. But in reading it, it was like, okay, I I took that to mean against the whole article, I welcome it because it starts to kickstart the conversation that I want to have about colorism. However, the whole article in itself, I feel was, didn't say anything. It didn't have an apology. Apology. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Didn't have an apology. Um, it didn't say anything. It was just like, one of those things where I get commissioned to write a piece and I'm not going to speak out against Candace, but I just feel like the article didn't, I didn't learn anything new. I actually thought this would be a stronger article touching on more points and a more informed opinion. And I, I get what Auntie Charlie says, like it's an opinion. It doesn't have to work all the facts, but I just felt like it wasn't saying anything new. She didn't touch on anything 
that I hadn't heard before, um, even down to the stories of when I was younger and da da da. And I get that, but I didn't have an emotional connection. And maybe I was looking because it's you've gone to the point of what's everything that's happened. I thought it'd be more of establishing article. Like this is what I felt. This is what happened. And even if she did say I welcome the back, even if she said then I really welcome the backlash in a real a real body piece of an opinion, then I would have been like, okay, yeah, and I also get where she's coming from. So even the way it ended, she said, um, I also heard that there's another documentary with it being fronted by another light-skinned lady, and guess what the subject is? Colorism, I'm paraphrasing, um, to say it properly. She said, I won't hold my breath. I recently found out that another documentary is being made for a major TV channel with a different light-skinned black pop star at the helm. The subject, colorism, that's how the article ends. And that documentary is actually Leanne Pinnock from... Little Mix, she's doing a documentary called um, Colorism and Race, which is due, was supposed to be released in February. Obviously, hasn't come out yet. Um, and apparently, in the backstory, in the backlash, when it was talking about you know Rochelle and light skinned people, when, before everyone got the real facts of what happened, everyone was like lumping in Leanne with this conversation about light skinned women fronting these type of conversations. And I don't know whether it was true or not, but it actually said that this was actually Leanne's idea. She brought it to whoever she brought it to, and then it got made. I don't know how far that is true, but that was the, the overriding narrative. So that's also misinformation for this opinion piece that's in The Guardian, and it's misleading and taking people on a tangent where actually you haven't got the facts in quotes. You could actually have just said, look, I've heard Leanne's doing it. I don't know what it is. She's doing a documentary about colorism. But if you don't know how that came about, then you're just fueling the flames of something that, of misinformation. That's the part that's a bit troubling. Um, I did also watch the video that that's more that was more relatable and more um, more of a conversation that I welcomed. I and I think I don't know. I, I just didn't get the emotion from the piece that I thought I'd get. I thought it'd be a lot more in depth and more thought out. And I didn't think so. it's not a bad piece. But I just don't think me from where I've been with this colorism conversation and discussion, the amount of times we've had this discussion, I didn't think it was anything but anything but maybe it's not for us it's not for us as black women who've been through it and in conversation having conversations about it she does say it needs to be it needs to start she said 2021 is the year of talking about colorism so maybe speaking to the guardian for an audience that doesn't necessarily understand it this article is enough to kickstart the conversation in another area but i'm less concerned about white people and colorism i think we do it to ourselves a lot for us for me personally i think I think black white people do for me it's a no no well, yeah maybe my, that was a, the wrong word I feel like in my in our community though I think we do it a lot so I want to unpack that conversation because I think it's that thing about talking to white people it doesn't work they don't listen we can I like her huh, maybe I don't know what I'm saying I do know what I'm well, saying is, yeah but I, yeah. I think I, I kind of hear you because it's just like it's almost like, and I'm going to say this in a very generalistic and stereotypical kind of way, but it's just like, you know, if you're up against white people who say they don't see colour, do you know what I mean? Are they going to know the difference or the nuances between a dark-skinned person and a light-skinned person and their different experiences and what they go through? So it's not really that, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, I don't think it's really, it is their issue in terms of they created the issue, do you know what I mean? And put it on on us kind of thing and that the whole system of racism should be shut down completely do you know what I mean but in terms of like how to dismantle this one I feel like I think it's more yeah I think it's more internal like talking to I, I I just don't know how I would even respond if a white person got into a conversation about colorism because it's just like who are you to say anything in this 
in this space. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You don't right. understand anything that we're going through with regards to this. So actually step back. I get like, yes, definitely have awareness, but I just don't know. Uh, like I said, like she wrote an opinion piece. Do you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't, I, I kind of want, um, if you want more balance, then I kind of want to see a range of people. Like you're saying, if that was in the video, which I, I didn't watch, I want to see a range of people. Cause I do feel like, you know, light-skinned women suffer from colorism too in negative ways do you know what I mean so I just don't think it's a fair um it it's kind of like I don't even know how to explain it and maybe there needs to be more subterms as well kind of thing and not just this catchment thing to kind of like um uh, identify and um respect everyone's different experience kind of thing but I just think it's um you know the trophyism of um, light-skinned girls. We don't talk about that mu much, you know, the, um, what do you call it, the fetishization, um, all of that kind of thing. So I just think that, you know, those are things that happen because of colorism. Do you know what I mean? And they're not, you know, they're not positive things. So I just think that, that it, it's such a complex, big issue. And I think it needs more voices in addition to Candice's voice, basically. Auntie Nano. Yeah. No, I, I agree. There was a few points in there that I, I don't agree with in regards to white people. But for Candice, um, I think, Antifari, you just encapsulated what I was thinking perfectly. There seems to be this school of um, countering colorism from a dark skin perspective, where it's like the attack goes on a light skinned female. Like they should be at the kind of, I don't know, it's it's almost like subservient to the dark skinned person. And I think that that power, that power dynamic, I keep on seeing it playing out like it's your fault. You should turn it down when really where is the onus on the boss, which is usually white. And I think that's where white people actually do need to be pulled into this conversation and called account for it because they absolutely do know what colorism is. They absolutely put these things in place so that lighter shade gets more and darker gets less. And they kind of absolve themselves from it. Like, well, it goes on to the talent that was just performing, but that's a job. And so if you're a jobbing presenter or actress or model, you're jobbing, you want to get the job but you're not the one doing the picking. And it's like, we seem to always go to the person that was offered the job to do something about it than the one that was actually doing the picking. And it just felt really, it irked me that in this article, there was really no onus on the um, producers, the commissioner. It was, it was still like there was this light skin talent that got the job and I didn't. And then in all of the backlash, that's still a woman, that's still a mother, she has a baby that was attacked and to be like this this conversation like you know her pain doesn't mean anything because of the conversation I just felt was really crass um yeah, yeah it just I, I, I was disappointed in her again um but there's definitely does need to be a real conversation about this that isn't really um dark and light like I think it it really needs to be going into how this structure keeps on being um, served and the different way that it is served without it being attacking 
on black people because this is just another arm of racism. And it just feels like we keep on, it just pulls into the poor dark-skinned woman. And it's that doesn't sit well with me that we're, you know, that whole thing, like bringing up the dating pool and dark-skinned women are less likely to get selected. It's like, seriously, like, is are we ever going to get out of this victimhood? Like, is there anything else to this story that isn't like the poor dark-skinned woman, oh, my God, you're always beaten up and downtrodden? Because that just seems to um, keep us there. It, it just, yeah, it, I, don't, I don't like the tone of these types of articles, but I don't know what the remedy is either. So that was the discussion point. I wanted to hear some different ways that it could be. And maybe it is just hearing from a range of different women of different hues, just talking about their experiences. Maybe that is the solution. I think that's what I got from the article, that it wasn't, it was a non-article. Am I on mute still? I'm not on mute. Oh, sorry. I thought Nana said I was on mute. Um, yeah, that's why I felt like it was a non-article. I don't think she said anything that was exploratory that was revolutionary that was looking at new ideas or new ways of addressing this situation and he presented it in a, on a white platform with no holding again no one's held accountable her, her own self is in the victim position and that's why I just thought it was it was and that's that goes into also and I don't want to speak on Candice alone because a lot of us do speak and I say us so not to um, so, um what's the word isolate anyone and speak about anyone specific in oh God, I can't speak today. Anyway, not to isolate anyone or single anyone out. That's the word. That's the phrase. Because um, a lot of us speak on these platforms, these white platforms, uh, to address a nation that do they care? And I'm not saying that white people don't need to be held accountable. I do think so. But I think there's so many levels to the conversation, this situation with colorism that we haven't dealt with internally, that what argument are we presenting to white people? We can say, you know what, can you stop dividing us and doing that, doing, stop hiring us in this way, stop favoring light-skinned women over dark-skinned women but then I always say that then there's the argument if we haven't resolved also ourselves I think it's a parallel conversation or a parallel action but if they can go out, turn around and say well all your all your projects all your content a lot of your content the popular stuff you've got a light-skinned woman in the forefront or what they see and stuff like that or you've got black men that are with white women or exotic women or in those positionings like you know the Luther effect I've always talked about in that show where Luther's on his own with no black friends they do that because and then there's I don't know they don't they're like, well, you do it anyway, so they don't feel like they should be held accountable or they only react incrementally. Like there might be a little bit of backlash. They might make a, like a teeny little change, but it's never consistent because we're not consistent with what our messaging. So that's why it's not to remove the um, onus from them, but it is also we really need to have that conversation. I do think it needs to be more well-rounded, more different voices. And yes, light-skinned women need to be allowed to speak about their issues of being recipients of reverse colorism or whatever it is. I think we were in a clubhouse conversation and someone was really against the fact that colorism was being used for light-skinned people and dark-skinned people because they felt like colorism is a black person's issue, the dark-skinned person's issue and color and whatever happens to light-skinned people is something different. But I think, I think Nana, as you said, it, it's like a, there's all, all of us have said in different ways, all of you have said that it's different substrands of the under, underneath the umbrella of colorism that we have to be comfortable to speak about because I know some light-skinned people feel oppressed, like feel like they can't say anything. And some dark-skinned people feel like they have to be extra sensitive and mind their words not to offend light-skinned. It just gets a bit messy and we do need to be a lot more honest and um, find a better way of speaking about it. But I just think the article itself was something... <clears throat> I have a problem with black people speaking on white platforms about our issues sometimes. I don't... And then getting paid for it 
and, I, and again, I'm not talking about Candice, I'm talking about in general. I have sometimes I have a problem with us going to these platforms because I don't know who you're talking to. It's like shouting into a tunnel, an echo chamber. Like, who cares? Does anyone care? Does any Guardian male, whatever platform, white reader, do they care? Does it affect their life? Do they change anything? So who are we talking to? Do you know what I mean? And it, yeah. I it's just a, like, Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I just feel like that somehow, and I haven't really thought this out properly, so far I start rambling. Um, but like, I feel like that is almost like the same as Rochelle's position. So because she's on a white platform, it just happens to be a documentary rather than, um, rather than a, a documentary, rather than a, um, what's it called? An article basically. Um, I think, yeah, so I kind of think it's the same thing. I think it's like, uh, what's it called? Not, um, what is the word? Sorry, just give me a minute. Um, Sorry. I'm just thinking that I think it's, uh, what do you call it? Like, if you have someone on, if you have someone that's on this platform speaking to a white audience, then aren't they kind of committing the same kind of like act? Then if it's just an article, it's Candice and Rochelle, almost like the same same thing, just in different mediums. Does that make sense? Are you saying that taking it to The Guardian, for example, is continuing the... Yeah, the back, I think it's... On a bigger, whiter platform. Yeah, it's just that if the, if the voice or if the if the conversation needs to be brought to black people none of those platforms is going to be speaking to us really exactly exactly what's the difference between them two they're doing the same thing but one is vilified and the other one isn't is held a hero and it's just like are you and is that because candice is fitting that stereotype of the downtrodden dark-skinned black woman do you know what i mean that she's like oh you know not hero it's kind of like a hero victim. I don't know what to call it. Do you know what I mean? It's just like you're this. You're you're playing that kind of stereotype. It's almost like a bit like pantomime. It's playing a role. I think it's playing a role because it's similar to that thing of like, okay, uh-huh. and I feel I don't know why. I feel, I'm not that I don't know why I feel because I think I I feel I don't feel I don't want to be talking out against Candice. I don't know her. I don't know her intention. Um, but I it, it is that thing like. This is it's very media, it's very business like corporate. Like, okay, so this backlash came out, you know, what will get our clicks up is let's have a conversation. I mean, about it. But so it, I, I feel like it's, but at the same time, I don't want to take away from my experience. No, exactly. Yeah. How she feels, then that's how she feels. Do you know what I mean? And I think her, her feelings in that, um, for a lot of, um, I guess, dark skinned women and also just black women in general, are relatable. Yeah. It's relatable. Those situations do happen. And I do think, like, I think it may be, I, I, like I said, I didn't read the article, but maybe the way that, um, uh, what's it called, uh, Leanne was brought into, her name was brought into was a bit clunky. But when um, when it was talking about social media, that's what was happening, to be honest. Like it was a joint conversation. It was it was Rochelle was mentioned, Liam was mentioned. Do you know what I mean, kind of thing. And whether I, I don't know if it necessarily matters how 
they got to come to be part of these documentaries. If over the course of the year, you're looking at these things and it is light-skinned women over and over again, mm-hmm. that's, that's just data. Do you know what I mean? So what does it matter, the story of how? There's definitely something wrong in the system that's choosing these women over dark-skinned women. And I'm not saying like that, that Candice is necessarily the right person, but your pool needs to be bigger right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It needs to be a bit a bit bigger. But I don't know if that's what Candice is saying in her article, or whether it's because it's coming from a personal perspective, she's talking about it. Her. Do you know what I mean? Before we go to the comments, and maybe I, I don't know if I've got anything else to add as well. I, um, I think, I don't think Candice is the wrong person to speak about it. I don't think her experience should be invalidated. I think maybe I wanted to leverage a bit more responsibility in what she said in the article, because I felt like it wasn't saying much. And I, the thing about Leanne, she didn't mention her. She said, oh, I heard. And I felt like, well, do some digging. You can actually say it and actually back it up with an extra sentence. But it just felt like, well, I don't know. There was a lightness to this article that I was disappointed in. And but I don't want to validate because I think even her experience, the bit, the tiny bit that was about, yeah, being younger and being overlooked was, was even if it was like, a, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too editorial about it, but there was just that that the whole editorials piece I didn't think was satisfactory enough for me, um, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe I wanted more and expected more because it's on the Guardian, and I think maybe I hold us more accountable or have more expectations. If you're going to take our story, our, our air our laundry out on a platform that's not for us, let it be one that's effective. And you know, it, uh, who am I to say that whether this is effective to everyone or not? But let's get some comments. Or any other com- um, comments from the aunties? Okay, so we have Antoinette says, Good evening, aunties. Congratulations on your 50 episodes. Um, I have watched and thoroughly enjoyed everyone too, watching in the office on my iPad. And I hope no one calls for a team meeting because I've marked myself as busy. Lovely. Um, Beverly says, Good evening. Hello and hello, Ronald. Um, Natalie says Candice needs to squash this and apologise, reach out to Rochelle and take photos of solidarity with her. If they both respect the real important story, they both want to cover this needs to end like yesterday. And um, hello to Monica. Hello, Miss Latang. Candice Osborne says, hello, aunties. I think she simplified it for the white gaze to get the conversation going. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree. But, you know, there was something that you said, actually, Auntie Sade, about the kind of um, victim stroke hero position that Rochelle has has fallen into. And I think that's another side of the coin that also doesn't sit well with me. The downtrodden light skinned woman as well. Like I feel like there's a real conversation and that article would have been more effective if that was about them two having a conversation, a real conversation as to what takes place, how they feel about it. I think that's more um, beneficial to actually have this conversation effectively without people going into victimhood. And it, it, I think Rochelle missed an opportunity to stand up and um, be a part of the black community and speak on it. And she gave us a a lily-livered, PR response, which is why there was a backlash about her in the first place, and she missed a real opportunity to step up and and mean something. 
And in the same way, by Candice kind of treading the same road, she's absolutely stepped into mean girl territory. And it's just like, this is still stereotypical trope. And you're still being played by media agencies. And it just feels like this is a real issue and it's not getting dealt with in an effective way, purposefully. It, yeah, it's just really annoying. But that's, that's why I said the video resonated with me more. Because the video was a conversation amongst people. And yeah, this yeah. is not going to be resolved by one person writing uh, this type, this particular piece. Because yeah. as we've all said, I didn't get, like, I read it, okay, that she made some great points, whatever. But I didn't really get anything from it. It is about us having open conversations amongst the community, amongst our community, and getting to the core of the problem. And then that's how we solve it. You're absolutely right. This was an opportunity for her to maybe reach out to Rochelle or Rochelle's team to reach out to her and for them to have an interview, for them to interview yeah. each other. That that would have made more more sense to me. This was this article, as you so eloquently put it, Auntie AK, went nowhere. Yeah. Even to the point where I read half of it, I watched the video, I went back to the remaining half, and then it ended and I was like, oh. Like I kept reading and then I realised it was just the Guardian bit about support us, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, it's finished. I was, re- I was waiting for the rest of it. So, but yeah. And, what, and I think just to end that point, what would have been more effective is if they took that conversation to a really prominent black platform rather than in the Guardian. That's where I would have been like, you two are on it. ZZ Mills. Did I'm saying something like that? I mean, even aunties, but yeah, ZZ Mills. Whoever's got the numbers, take it to us. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, realistically, whoever's got the numbers, a woman, black-owned platform, have the conversation there. Then we know that this is something that's like effective. Going yeah. Any more comments before we move on? Uh, Candice says we need to be able to to discuss how not to fall into the trap of attacking each other precisely exactly good stuff and so I've lost my running order where is it somebody help me there it is who's next what have you heard Auntie Sade what have you heard oh it's me okay um so uh my headline this week is about Dr. Carl Hart and uh, his book, Drug Use for Grown-Ups, Chasing Liberty in the Land of Fear. Um, he appeared on The Breakfast Club last Friday to promote the book, and he talked about his 30 years um, studying narcotics and that he wants to spread awareness of, um, to drug users um, to be safer with, uh, um, with things like the use of street drugs, the um to get drugs tested um to uh, not mix uh suppressants with opioids because it uh, is likely to cause uh, cardiac arrest um and also just in generally spread his message of like decriminalization of all drugs so in his interview dr hart also admitted that he had been over the years been taking heroin um he claims that this is outside the u.s um, and only for research purposes as well. He um, was just, yeah, so yeah, so basically he's kind of like, you know, he's an advocate for drugs at the end of the day, do you know what I mean? I think I've driven that point home. Um, <laughs> however, he did, um, from watching the interview, from from my point of view, I thought that he seemed defensive from off the bat, do you know what I mean? Like, he, he just seemed very like, oh, what are you guys going to say to me kind of thing? He just seems like properly like he was there to defend himself. And I think that's because there was an article, I think it's the Washington Post or the New York Post, one of the two. 
New York Times. It was the New York Times. New York Times that said that basically that he was a drug addict that was taking heroin on a daily basis or alluded to that fact allegedly. So I think he was kind of like in this defensive stuff stance. Um, and uh, basically, he just seemed to throughout the interview it was like an hour long. He seemed to downplay the effect that drugs have had on the black the community, the black community in particular, which led to Charlemagne and MV in particular to challenge him on this. Um, and I wanted to know from you guys: Did you watch it? What did you think about it? Do you think that this kind of rhetoric is revolutionary or do you think it's irresponsible? Auntie Nana. Okay, so I watched it. I've watched it twice. Um, and yes, your your um, observations were correct. He definitely did come off the bat, like ready for combat. But then as the interview went on and Charlemagne and Envy's stance was really that his kind of um, advocacy for safe drug use as opposed to don't take drugs was irresponsible, I could understand why he had that energy. Because some it, he's, he's the one that's researched drugs and they are going off of um, anecdotal evidence and he's going off of actually researched evidence and I just felt that they came across to me as very ignorant. And the general population, I think, would agree with um, Charlemagne and DJ Envy in regards to the, the perceptions of drug use. And I, 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 fa- I don't think his stance is revolutionary because I guess I've, I've met a functioning heroin addict. So what he was saying wasn't anything new to me. But I, 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 I applauded him as a black man for coming out and saying it because I think a lot of black people have this stance of just, just say no to drugs. Like they literally go after Nancy Reagan's um, slogan and her, uh, her, her stance on just say no, the just say no campaign, especially when we were kids, that was out. So I, I, I really admire what he's trying to do and the message that he's putting forward. And I think, actually, his overarching point that was lost on them was actually our perceptions of the drug is not the overall circumstances that lots of people have found them in when, they, when they're using the drug. Because you'd have exactly the same types of scenarios with people that abuse alcohol. And the underlying similarity is trauma and poverty and it's not the drug or the alcohol that does that it's the circumstances that society has placed them in and doesn't actually change so you could remove heroin you could remove crack and you'll have another thing it could be called spanduli and it would because they have the trauma and they're in poverty they would have the same types of social um social repercussions because nobody's actually looking, nobody's actually treating their traumas. And that to me was like, yeah, I understand that. And taking drugs, again, if you use it lightly, I guess it's kind of similar to just um, alcohol or smoking weed. It's just, it's on the person that's using it. It's not necessarily the substance. And I think that was his point. So I, I got him. I enjoyed the interview for the combat of it, but I found it irritating each time Charlemagne spoke. 
I haven't watched it, so there's not much that I can say. I've, I think I've got um, questions and just opinions on what you just said. So I agree that um, you can have functioning drug users. You can have um, people who are highly addictive, have an addictive personality and can become addictive to, addicted to things pretty quickly. And I suppose if you're not a drug user and you have family members who have been addicts, for some people, that straight away will make you, and you recognise your personality, let's say that, that for some people will make them be straight away, well, I'm not going to try that because if I try that, I reckon I'll go down the rabbit hole. What most people don't have is his 25-year career in understanding the differences that can, that um, different drugs can have on the human body. So he's coming at it from that perspective where he gets it, he's looked at it, he's researched it, whereas the common everyday man hasn't looked at it, hasn't researched it, is getting their drugs from Nigel down the road, who's washing it with flipping fairy liquid or, you know, or flipping hay fever tablets. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I think maybe, as I said, I haven't watched it. I think for me, it's about his responsibility in the delivery of what he's saying. It's about him not, you know, saying recognizing not everyone should do it because it is not everything's for everybody and it's also about him recognizing what drug use has done to the black community uh, you know uh, that's it i can't say anymore because like i said i haven't watched it i need to go and watch it so he didn't so he didn't um your first point was it that uh he did say that not everyone should do it and he's not advocating for drugs he did say that but he would not recognize the damage in in the way, in the traditional way that we think about it he would not recognise that. He would not agree with that point. So then that's my issue. Like, if you're going to talk about this, as I said before, he's an informed person, but you can't talk about it in that way without recognising those points because the the common man is not armed with the knowledge that he's armed with. And the common man probably doesn't have... He's an Ivy League, you know, college person. The, the, the common drug user, as someone else said, is affected by their community, not by, by their surroundings, by what goes on. So... Yeah. I think he probably should have acknowledged that. Again, I haven't watched it, but... Um, I watched it, and uh, I think a combination of what Nana's saying and Anshadi's saying and Farah's speculating, I went back and forth with understanding where he was coming from. I definitely reacted to when Charlemagne said, you're shaking, I'm, you know, are you okay? Um, It was Charlemagne being Charlemagne, but it's a point because someone who's delivering the message... You got you, you. Unfortunately, you're delivering a message that's quite controversial. You want that person to be on point and all and firing on all cylinders. And unfortunately, the guy, it was partly it was emotional because he was emotional about the conversation, which he said, "Look, I'm passionate about this." But it also did seem like you're a bit. What's happening with you? You're not 100. And that doesn't mean to say you're having withdrawal. You need like a fix. Well, this is what I'm saying. So I, it was a bit. He was a. It was an. He was an interesting spokesman. Spokesman. Spokesperson for it. And I definitely, Charlemagne and Envy were quite irritating in their, a little bit irritating in trying to drive the fact that he was advocating, but he was also avoiding dealing with things in the reality. I think he had to, like Auntie Charlotte said, be more realistic about the fact that people, you can have all the research in the world, but your average working class Joe that knows people have been on drugs, who has taken drugs or knows, you know, all that type of stuff and has been immediately affected by the results of someone who's been addicted. You can't just say, well, look, read my book, read my, and I think on, on a promotional stuff, yeah, but he kept saying, read my book, read my book. I'm like, people aren't going to read your, not everyone's going to read your book. Not everyone has a luxury all the time 
or the wherewithal or maybe will react to you to say, read that book. So this is your chance to break it down in a way that people who watch this show religiously for their news and their information, this is where you can't point to a book every single time as every kind of full stop to every point you're making because people are going to switch off. I mean, like man's just trying to promote a book. I kind of switched off a bit, but he, I liked in between the cracks, <laughs> no pun intended, in between the cracks <laughs> of what he was saying, things like he was saying that the, the whole drug game is rigged to be oppressive to people of color, especially black people. The fact that drug laws and all these type of things were changed the minute black people get onto it, whether it's making money from it or using it to enhance whatever extra powers we have, this is the racism structure of the whole thing. The, the drug trade is so biased and so racist. So that's where we will get the shitty end of the end of the, of the drug stick because we're not going to get the good co- the good products. We're not going to get the clear information that actually, if you use these type of drugs in a way to enhance this kind of stuff, your, this lifestyle or whatever, how people who've got money can control it, some, not all, um, then we, it's never going to be a fair balance. And I think he needed to come at the conversation a lot more candidly and less defensive. I mean, you, you go into, I, I, I can understand how Charlemagne can get under your skin and he wasn't, I don't think he was being that bad, but I just what irritated me was that he kept saying, well, you're saying take drugs. And he repeatedly said, I'm not saying take drugs just on the base, like just take drugs. And I think Charlemagne as a presenter and envy everybody in the room could have actually done better to push this conversation, explore it a bit more so that the guy didn't have to keep defaulting to defending himself and promoting his damn book and being annoying. And then they didn't have to keep then piss people off by saying, yeah, well, how you're doing this? You've been in the game long enough. You know how to ask questions. Um, but I think, yeah, I th- so I, I, it was interesting. I think it's an interesting conversation. I definitely love the part, of, I like the parts about the politics and the racism of it all and how the game is rigged like that. But I definitely think there would need to be more acknowledgement of the fact that you can't just say, well, actually, the stats aren't really there. You, you can't because there's too much of us who know people immediately who have been affected by drugs. And I don't even, you know, and I think oh, Charlemagne said that, how do you know if you're predisposed to become addicted? Um, and the guy was like, read my book. And it's like, no, that's not it. Not on this platform, not at this time. Talk about it. Really get into the nitty gritty because I might like, okay, let me go try heroin then because based on this guy, but what if I read the book and I don't get the answers and I still feel like I'm going to go and read heroin then? Do you know what I mean? It's just a little, this is, this is a sensitive subject and I get it. It's not explored properly, but just have some extra level of responsibility in bringing the story out. Uh, he, he, he answered that question. Did he? Did he? Did he? Yeah. Did he? He, okay. he did say people with extra pressures who have had traumatic events in their lives, like they are going to be more susceptible to addictive behavioural patterns, so they should avoid it. He, he was very clear in that. He said it a couple of times because they kept on asking him. Okay, my bad. Then I, like I said, I forgot. That's the thing. So when I watched something, I forgot, and the key facts... I think, so I, I think you do have a point, but I do think that Charlemagne, they had to... I feel like at the same time, it was kind of like a tactic to keep him get getting him to say he's not advocating for it because every other publication that's what they're pushing the message so by him doing that he's reinforcing that message so it's almost in a sense like helping in 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 a way I just don't I kind of like kind of like building on what you're saying auntie AK it's just like I just don't think he's the best advocate for it regardless of whether he's done the research for 30 years or what whatever to be honest he could just be doing that re- research because he's an addict and it gives him certain accesses and that's the way he can legitimately legitimize his whole... It's essence. so true. It could just be that. I'm not trying to take away from what he's doing, but I'm just saying there's... there's. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
if you want to get creative about how you're going to justify things, you can do that. You know, he's saying that he's, he basically kept on saying that he's never, he's only done like high grade heroin. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, come off it. You live in a state, like seriously, he wouldn't mention the countries where he went to, to do the heroin either kind of thing. I just thought that that was just, Overall, I just thought it's elitist, middle-class bullshit, to be honest, <laughs> to be honest. I just really do think that. And I'm thinking, like, this is such a dangerous message, and I just don't think he's the right messenger, because it's just like, if you're going on the breakfast club, you need to be able to deal with those kind of questions in a way that's not going to have you rattled. You can't come into that interview being rattled by something else. Like, like, are you that naive to think that just because you're the expert in this this field that you're not going to be challenged? How arrogant of you! <laughs> so that was I, no. I just, I, I just don't, I, I don't agree with that at, at all. I just think that. Um, he just didn't think about that his soundbites could be manipulated. Um, mm. His solutions about, oh, drug users should go and test their drugs. Where? Like, where should they go and test their drugs? They don't live in Spain. They don't live in Portugal. They live in the United States, where in most states, it's a crime to even smoke or carry marijuana. So what are you talking about? You're promoting this kind of solution. But it's just like, the fact of the matter is, it's just like, in the entirety you should know how the media works and that they're going to take little bits of what you're saying and turn something that you're, <laughs> so they're going to create their own truth and you're pushing something like Auntie AK said, people are not going to go read your book. Do you know what I mean? Or the people that you're, you say that you're speaking to are not necessarily going to read your book because we consume our content on social media in very small little bites. Do you know what I mean? So I just don't think, I just don't think, I just don't like the whole way it went down. And I just really agreed with more what Charlemagne was saying in terms of like encouraging therapies rather than falling towards the the addiction, like managing the addiction rather than treating the root cause. And I just generally think that you shouldn't really be, um, what do you call it? like controlled by an outside force you know everybody i mean like the 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 laws that govern your country will decide what's a drug or not do you know what i mean so like you know they did have good examples in terms of like alcohol and sugar for me sugar's my drug do you know what i mean if i could get rid of sugar my addiction to sugar i would live a better life that's just facts i'll probably live a longer life that's just facts do you know what i mean so i cannot believe that and then think that it's okay to push for a world where you encourage people or uh what do you call it uh not subdue but like kind of support people in drug addiction i just don't believe that believe that at all so yeah those are my thoughts what are you going to say auntie nano i was um there was there was one one big point um just that his solutions were I, I can't see how they can be disputed. Like how he was talking about addicts, that's factual. People who are addicted to something generally don't want to give it up. So actually having this stance of just say no doesn't work. So actually if you provide centres where they can go and it's not criminalised and you can actually check whatever you've purchased that it's clean or you actually like, centralize it so that this is handed out and it's clean like 
uh, paracetamol or whatever is a prescription drug, to me, it's just like that makes way more sense than to have this stance of, no, you need to get clean when there are so many people that absolutely do not want to get clean. They, They are fine with their addiction, but to do it safely would be preferable. But the problem is... And when they're ready, they can get clean, though. But the problem is the majority of people are not going to have access to safe drugs. They're not. That's his point. That was his point, was to create a system where you can. And I get that. But even even if you create that system, there's going to be a hierarchy of that, and there's going to be people at the bottom of that hierarchy who do not have access to that system. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't happen because that's no, a lot no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm not. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But it's just like the. As I said, I didn't watch it, but it's just you got to be careful about how you promote people taking drugs. I was going to say the same thing as I was going to respond the same way that Nana did. Like, it, not that it shouldn't happen. And I understand that you weren't saying that, Auntie Farah. So I think I think it's about the messenger, and it's not it's not his fault because he he is who he is, and he's delivering what he's delivering, and he's saying what he's saying, and much like Candice. The messenger is delivering the message. You interpret it how you want to interpret it. And we can only receive it how you receive it. We're four women who received it in four individual ways or, you know, until you watch it for Auntie Farah. And we will take with it and do with it what we want. I do think drugs should be um, decriminalised. I do think, and it's because of the racism of it and the fallout of like that. Um, there's a lack, I hate that there's no rehabilitation for um, adequate, suitable rehabilitation. I would, I, I don't, I get that thing about, okay, addicts are going to addict. So instead of telling them to get clean and saying, just say no, it's not going to work. People, addicts are always going to addict. Um, so I do understand having centres and places of well-being where you can manage that. And if it's gearing you towards getting off it or helping you live in a world where this is what you want to do, but as safely as possible, having those facilities there, let's see. Because also that they could all spring up be really efficient and then how many people will actually take drugs in the end because i kind of wanted to know if we were it's just a question do you think if we were all mentally sound and the no issues no problems no nothing we we're all very happy people would would there be a need for drugs in the way as a, as a form maybe yes, yeah. Yeah. I, think, yeah. yes would. I think they're used before escapism right yeah. and the fact of the matter is it's just that at the end of the day we need to fix our society we need to fix so many things, sexism, racism, all that kind of stuff, like poverty, all that kind of all that kind of thing, and 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 and, and give people a level playing field. And I think if that was the case, there would be less need for them at the end of the day. Do you know what I mean? I get the I get the I kind of get the pleasure thing, but at the same time, it, it's just another form of escapism. You're not dealing with the real root cause issue. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not really dealing with your reality. You're just escaping. See, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because in the same way that someone's going to pick up a, po- a bottle of Prosecco and pour themselves a drink to take the edge off of it or, or to just... It, because, it, because it feels nice, it's the same way... Thing. I think it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, but I'm, I'm the, just... The level of um, al- like alcohol is just naturalised in our society where it's just like, okay, that's... that's, that's yeah, that's I, I agree with that. But like I was saying, I don't, I don't necessarily think that all drug users do it because they want to escape their reality. I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel I feel like it, it it's a pleasure thing as well, isn't it? Some people do it because it brings them a sense of pleasure. Like me having a glass of wine gives me a sense of pleasure. I'm not trying to escape my day-to-day life. It's people that want to go smoke weed, that gives them a sense of it's, it's it's a preference and I just think it's all about how that is managed. And my only thing that I was saying about 
what this Dr. Carl said, I, I'm not saying that centres and the way that drugs are managed and criminalised currently should be the case, because I do think that needs to be looked at, because that also results in lots of things happening in our communities. But I, I, I just feel like it, it's advocating drug use. But if that's not what he said or how he meant it, then fair enough. Again, I've not watched it. No, it was it was I think it was more advocating for safe drug use and for the the decriminalization of drugs and actually that the conception the misconception that a lot of people have about drugs that you know it's one hit and you're addicted isn't necessarily factual. And I think I think the the leveraging of alcohol was probably like that's that's the that's the meter. Because in the same way, it wasn't so it wasn't so long ago that there were opium dens that you could do cocaine. That coke was in was in drinks. Like so, it's like actually that was a part of that society's life, and it wasn't like everybody was rolling around. Society still happened. People still had jobs. They went about their business, and it was recreational. I, I yeah, but it's like drug use can just enhance your experience it doesn't actually need to be an escape from it it can it, the same as having a drink it can just enhance your enjoyment levels it's just a filtering system and some drugs filter re- reality in different ways but if you have traumas that you are running from it can be used in, as a form of escapism and that's where the addiction comes in with most things you know it's a, it's like if you, everything in moderation and i think that was what he was trying to express. And I don't think, I I wasn't offended by it, but I know that drugs, I I found it interesting that um, this conversation isn't had more often around drugs. Like there seems to be this blanket, drugs are bad. Yeah, And I was like, "Mm, that's quite interesting because we're drugged up to our eyeballs with lots of different things every day. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting... Including the vaccine. I think, and exactly, I think it, it is about, it's back to the messenger, it's about, it's back to who, the conversation's not had enough. It is definitely like drugs now. I remember I, I definitely grew up like, if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to smoke weed, then you're going to smoke all the hard stuff and be literally a drug-addled alcoholic crack whore, probably. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, it is the dramatics of drugs, and I think that needs to be removed. The stigma of drugs needs to be removed. We need to level the playing field, start again, have some reinformation about drugs. But it, it, I think you have to be careful about the platforms you go on to say it because it's such a touchy subject. You can't avoid it. And I think, Antina, you're well informed about this conversation and these things. So when you come from a place of being informed, as he is, that's why you and him can talk vibe on a level where someone who's not had that information, all you've heard is just say no, drugs are bad. It's good. And, it's, and you, you might have the reaction like um, Charlemagne and Envy. And then be stuck on that because like all you've heard a whole it's like everything. Don't do this, don't do that. Drugs have never been in like as a thing as good. And opium dens, rich white people, not how does that and also the facts around the opium dens, what was the fallout of opium dens? Apart from the fact because he did say that they were shut down when black people started to get involved or something like that. Said no, something about Asian. Asian, sorry. Um, Asian. There's another what was the other one that he said that when black people started doing it? Was it Coke? Uh, was it Coke? I think I think it was um it was no, opium, opium. I think it was heroin. Oh, so yeah. So uh, one of the two of, of the two big drugs, when they used to have it freely, once black people got involved, it was a problem. But I would like to know what are the stats around those opium dens? What was the fallout when opium dens were available on every street corner? How did they like? 
sometimes we can romanticize the things to suit an argument on both sides, whether you're for or against, you can either down really enhance that, you know, you're going to have crap people everywhere, or you can really enhance, like, oh, it was a wonderful time of, um, what was it, the liberation? What was a time when everyone was... What, the 60s? Yeah, and also behind like, the LSD. Like, the Renaissance time when everyone's like, all the creators were on drugs and all the geniuses were on drugs, but a lot of those geniuses that were on drugs and alcohol died early, killed themselves, all that type of stuff. So, and yes, they might have had the underlying trauma, but yet lack of information. This, the, the, these eras have also been romanticized against drugs. So, yeah, um, let's get some comments. And okay, um, we only actually have one that I can see. It's Ronald, and he said, I didn't watch it. Has he presented his solutions to any governmental bodies? Since from what I'm hearing, he seems to be an he seems to be advocating institutional changes. Well, he works for various universities um, and colleges in 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 America. So I I would think so. He seems to be in that realm. So I'm not sure. He didn't say I petitioned or got a paper here, but he was his research is out there and he has written lots of papers on this. But governmental, he didn't say. I don't know. Also, as well, the other thing is, it's just that I would like to know, like, who else supports him? Do you know what I mean? In terms of what he's saying, kind of thing, and how common it is. I did like. I thought I was interested in the whole thing. What he was saying about Ohio, was it? And um, how they did Oregon. The Oregon, sorry, uh, they uh, decriminalized all drugs in that state, kind of thing. Um, mm. But he didn't kind of mention that he had anything to do with that. Um, but I'd be interested in, but he was saying, he was saying it from a racial perspective that the majority of, you know, is a low black population or low ethnic population in general kind of thing. So that's probably why that's happened um, and not happened in highly black populated uh, states kind of thing. But um, it's definitely an interesting conversation. I used to do drug training with young people back in the day. And it's, yeah, I think there's a lot of myths out there, but the, the impact, the negative impact is real. And I just feel like he he was really trying to trivialise that like it was nothing. And it really is nothing. Okie dokie, moving on. So what have I heard, Auntie AK? Well, Auntie AK, <laughs> what I have heard is um, Shamima Begum cannot return to the UK. And I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on it. I have my notes somewhere in all my... Jingle jangle, jumble jamble. Okay, so if you didn't know, or you don't know, or you don't remember, Shamima Begum is left the UK for Syria to join the Islamic State group as a teenager. And she's not allowed to come back to the country because of this, because she was radicalized um, in 2015. She's one of three East London schoolgirls who traveled to Syria in 2015 and supported, yeah, like I said, Islamic State group. Um, she was born in the UK to parents of Bangladeshi heritage and was 15 when she left. Um, she travelled from, but she travelled to ISIS headquarters in Raga, and where she married a, de- a Dutch recruit who is the father of her children. Um, and she's now 21 and has lived under ISIS rule, IS rule, for more than three years. Um, she was found by authorities nine months pregnant in a Syri- Syrian refugee camp in February 2019. Uh, unfortunately, she lost her baby, and um, she's also talked about losing other children previously. Uh, so after she was found, the then Home Secretary Sajid Javid cancelled her British citizenship on security grounds. So my question is, what? and now officially she's stateless. She cannot return to the UK and it opens that conversation about citizenship and whether or not you think she should be allowed back in the UK or not. Auntie, who haven't I gone to first? Shade, I think. 
Um, yeah, I, I probably not the popular opinion, but yeah, she should be allowed to return to the UK. She's a UK citizen. Um, she's she's our problem. Um, if she was radicalised here, we should fix that. Do you know what I mean? So um, I think it's inhumane to leave her in those circumstances, especially if um, she has denounced her affiliations, etc. kind of thing, which I believe that she has kind of thing. You're essentially leaving her there to die and it will be on the British public's conscience. It should be on their conscience, if she does. Auntie Farah. Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. They have said that her human rights were not breached. Now, it's very, very, very telling that these are the same people that want to ship and deport people to countries they've never been to. Let's not forget those two twins who were born here to Grenadian and Dominican parents, and they ship them to separate countries, and they've never set the foot once. These are people that were born here. So it's all right to ship people that were born here because you want to get rid of them, and then it's all right to deport people that have lived here the majority of their life and worked and paid taxes, and then it's all right for you to say someone who actually is your problem, now we don't want it, it's your problem now. It's very interesting. Very interesting. That's what I want to say. Auntie Nana. I think the... Because uh, I'm sure we've spoken about this before in terms of if she should be allowed in or not. So I definitely think she should be allowed in. But it's the latest development that actually threw me for a loop that they're like, you, because your parents are Bangladeshi, um, that's where your citizenship should be because we are revoking it. When you're you're not allowed to actually leave somebody without citizenship, like they can't be stateless. And she has never had um, citizenship with with Bangladesh. So you're you're you've created this whole new thing that wasn't there before. She's the first person to have this happen to her, where it's kind of like, oh, if your parents weren't born here. And even if you ha don't have a passport for that country, now they can just out of thin air be like, no, that's where you need to go. So again, it's like, well, Bangladesh are like, well, she doesn't have citizenship with us. And I swear, this government is just like, they're so crazy. How can you do this to somebody? I could even understand this stance if she was over 21, but she was 15. She's a child. I think that there needs to be some somebody in authority that is like you need to be responsible for this. Like, really, she was a child who got radicalized and left this country and boarded a plane with other children, and now you're being like, oh no, they were old enough to know what they were doing and they shouldn't come back in. It's like it's disgusting, it, it, thoroughly disgusting. But again, they used another Asian person in the first place to kind of put this through, like so everybody can be like, oh, well, you know, this is this is how it goes. It's like, no, it isn't. It's, it, it really is truly disgusting and kind of worrying, I guess, for members of our kind of generation that this could be, this could be how it is. We could just be shipped off somewhere. And again, as Auntie Farah said, there are examples of this and it's like, it's not okay. Yeah, I think you guys have said it all. I, I thought she should be allowed back. Um, I definitely have a problem with the fact that she was 15 and radicalised, um, groomed possibly as well, so most definitely. And how do you leverage so much at a young girl? Uh, it's, it's the level of insensitivity and, I don't know, she didn't, and 
I'm not look, I'm not um empathizing or sympathizing with any kind of terroristic terrorist behavior but she didn't she she was radicalized what did she do actually everyone talk about her being radicalized and she went to Syria but what did she actually did she take part in or did she do anything that's why I really like to understand that Has, did she actually kill anybody did she blow anybody up was she part of any tactical warfare? Was she part, you know, did she radicalize other people that who went on to do things, by the way, because there's talking and then there's actually coercing someone to do something. Mm. What were her actions? Because at this point, no one's talking about, she was, a, she was radicalized and she went to Syria. It seems like she was just a, um, somebody's wife. That's what I'm From saying. everything I've read about her, it really does seem like she went there, like, um, like she was wooed, like to go yeah. and be somebody's wife over there like that was honorable that was an honorable thing and as a 15 year old do you really know you don't you don't have there are flipping 20 year olds flying around this country that that flying around the world they don't know what they're getting into when they board a plane you're just like the person I was speaking to online was lovely they love me and you go and that's the thing. We have big campaigns about being groomed online. You have all these campaigns. It's all it invalidates everything as a country, as a nation that will say have anti-bullying campaigns, anti-grooming. I, mean, I don't believe your campaign. The next just say no. Like, I'm sorry, not just say no. Well, any of all the campaigns you come up with that's supposed to be in support or defense of young people. Then we don't believe you then because you, you're literally undermining everything you're saying when this young girl was groomed, radicalized. And in that radicalization, that's indoctrination. That's mental trauma. That's mental turmoil. She's lost. I, I mean, and I think, yes, you can be black and white in the actions and the motions. If she did something, you know, we had like the Jamie Bolger kids that murdered, uh, well, the, ki- the kids that murdered Jamie Bolger. You've got the kids that murdered um, Damalola Taylor. There's things like that where you then have to apply real black and white unfeeling emotions and like what was the case at hand. At this point, I've not seen anything about what she did. So at this point, I believe she was a victim of grooming and uh, mental terrorism. So how can you now leverage all these things at her and leave her stateless? In an ideal world, her aside, being stateless might actually be safest because you're not embedding, you're not party to anyone and they can leave you the hell alone. But this is not the case. The other thing is that um, where does this stop? Are, are there now levels and stages of citizenship? Yeah. Where does this stop? And if that's the case there's going to be lots of members of parliament that are going to have to look at themselves in this as well. Because how many members of parliament come from their second generation, their first generation British? How mm. many members? Like, how can you stand up and agree that this is okay? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I just, Preet Patel better watch her back, is all I'm saying. Well, they, and that's the thing they use, Sajid, they use Priti to roll out these immigration. It's so, it's, it, I don't, that the puppetry is mad. Like you, and you can see, you know it. You know you must go into your room at a certain time of night and say, "Yeah, I'm being used." But you're being used, and you're happy with it. You're actually, and you're involved in decisions that affect people that look like you. People in your immediate family affect yourself. If you do something wrong, pretty, you don't pay your tube and you accidentally tap in, tap out in the wrong way. <laughs> you get, like, arrested. Yeah, the other it. thing you've got to sorry, I was just going to say the other thing you've got to think about is how they react when British citizens of a certain hue go to another country, commit a crime, and they're being held responsible in that country according to the rules and regulations Mm -hmm. and laws of that country and what this country has to say about that and wants to do in response. The British, like the the consulates, all that type of stuff, and then they'll support them, bring them home, all that type of stuff. Let's get them home. Like, come on. So that's why anyone waving a British flag and you're not of... Let's get some comments. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Um, right, we have Candice. She says, I think she was a victim of grooming, but her lack of remorse when interviewed last year is what did it for them. They see her as still being a threat. It's a lie if they want to. Because, it, yeah, she... I, she what, can she, what can she? Because they wanted her to say, "I'm so sorry. I regret. I will never do." And I don't know. If she, I can't remember. I can't remember the interview. And I remember that being a thing. But it's like when she first got interviewed, and the 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 guy was asking her some serious question, and it was just like this shouldn't even be allowed to happen anyway. Do you know what I mean? She does. Yeah. If she was in the UK, she would have a grown up with her. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. She would have some sort of protection. But because she's brown. They just don't want to give her any of that. Do you know what I mean? She's ad- they they they've made her an adult with 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 autonomy over her whole being when she she had none at the yeah. end of the day. And it's just like it's 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 just terrible, man. I, I just think that it's just so hypocritical. Do you know what I mean? Because if she was blonde hair and blue eye, like you've got that um, what's that American girl? Um, that went to Italy and killed actually, well, was accused of killing someone, was found guilty. Listen. She's living life. She's celebrity. Oh, She's Amanda Knox. Amanda Listen. Knox. Do you know what I mean? Where's the freaking outrage, mate? Like, do you know what I mean? Where's our efforts to support them to bring her back to Italy? It's ridiculous. It's actually, it's so exactly. And the thing is, it's like, this is how you create martyrs this is how you build um an insurgence against you by doing these injustices to people now i'm not saying that's the right thing but this is it's almost like step-by-step guides mate like what are you doing honestly the fact that she can't vote at the time she couldn't vote she couldn't have sex but yet she's qualified we're not at 15 you're not allowed to vote you're not allowed to have sex she even allowed to get married she even allowed to get married and she go to Gretna Green, is it? I do nothing. She can't get married. She can't buy oh. cigarettes. She can't do jack shit. But yet, no. for all, she can be responsible for being um, flipping radicalized. <laughs> just top class spy that we should be threatened by by coming back to the UK. And she, she didn't do anything. Like, she had no manifesto. Nothing. She had nothing. Is, nothing. Yeah. And also, additionally, you've got to think about the trauma that she's gone through. This, this is a, a young girl that has lost children. Yeah. You know, she can't even come back here to be with the rest of her family. They're trying to say that another country she's never been to should be responsible for her. Mate. Yeah, her and they're saying no. And they're is, saying she's not a citizen. Is her husband, um, what do you call it? Is her husband, uh, what's it called, uh, allowed back to, where's he from? Isn't, aren't they all dead? I'm sure. Oh. I'm sure. No, I'm, I'm, I feel no, like I think her, her husband, family died. I think her husband got killed. Yeah, I and think her, her husband and her children, I think they all died. That's what I mean. Think about the shit that she's mm-hmm. gone through. She can't even come back. No, sorry. With, um... Sorry, a quick Google says her husband, Yago Ridjik, is in a... Sorry, I wasn't doing an accent. I was just trying to read it properly. It is in a, Kurd- is in a Kurdish-run detention centre some- elsewhere in northern Syria, according to the BBC, and that was announced four days ago. Either way... Okay. She's given... And she had, she's lost three children. Like, this is I mean, if you don't want her to... She lost at yeah. 21. At 20, like, come on, man. This is a lot. Before. Oh, her husband's saying... Yeah. I'm, I'm reading headlines quickly. Her husband's saying that we should live in Holland. In Holland. I don't know what is... Tangent. Are they going to let them in there? No, he was Dutch. Oh. Um, well, I don't know. He's just, it's just a top line. I haven't even gone into it. But let's get some comments. Okay. And... okay. Ronald says, it just seems cruel to me. And Swanette says, she should be allowed back. 
she was radicalized in the UK. We need to claim her and work with her as a victim. It's an easy cop out to strip her of her citizenship. Is this one action going to help in the fight against terrorism? I think not. And she also says Amanda Knox killed a mixed race British girl. That's why she is free and living and not behind bars. Um, she adds that I think her husband was German. So we've clarified that that he was that he's Dutch. And Ronald says in the US, Amanda Knox is considered a victim of the um, Italian press. Wow. Yes, um, and reading the story quickly, he was, he's 27 now, so someone do the maths. Um, and he said, uh, he's being held in, like I said, a Kurdish detention centre. He faces a six-year jail term for joining a terror organisation if he returns to the Netherlands. I feel like he's, his situation is a bit better. Well, he can still go and just do yeah. some prison yeah. and then yeah. exactly. live his life. Exactly. Um, so aren't, they, aren't there terrorists that they fought to bring back here? They've extradited from wherever the hell they are and they've brought them back to stand trial and to, and be punished. Who's who's wasn't that um one of the Manchester Bombers guys? I feel like there was something I think around you're right. I think there was something around that where they I feel I almost feel like they brought his brother back and his brother some it might not be the Manchester Bombers, but there was there I, I recall there being an incident where they brought somebody back so that they could stand trial for terrorism. Yeah. Now, if you can fucking do that, let this little girl come home. To be honest. It's, it's bonkers, really. But, yeah, you know. Okie dokie. Auntie Farah, what have you heard in the news today? I muted myself again. Um, <laughs> so my story is about Steph London and our favourite, not, Danny Lee. So Steph was online and she was basically saying to everyone, you know, be nice to people and it's horrible that Danny Lee's been torn down and we need to get to a position where we're being nice to people and all this stuff. And then Danny Lee came back and said, oh, thank you. After Steph started getting backlash, um, you know, Danny Lee came back and said, thank you for supporting me. It's a shame that people are doing this to you and um, don't, you don't need those people in your life anyway. And then consequently, Steph started getting mud thrown at her for the um, statements that she made previously, like about 10 years ago. I think she made some statements, uh, um, some colorism statements. So she didn't waste any time. She says, I'm going to put this out myself because this is stuff that I've acknowledged in the past before. I've already said that my actions were wrong. I was an angry person at that time. I, you know, I hold my, I hold my hands up and say that I should never have spoken about this. This was aimed at one particular person who came for me, but, and I went back to her in this way. You can't tell me something about something that I'm going to, um, hold myself accountable for. Um, side note, Danny Lee <laughs> did a DNA test, you know, like one of those, where am I from? She did one of those tests and it came back saying that she was 39% um <laughs> West African. So now she's like <laughs> I'm 39% West African. Y'all can't chat to me. I say <laughs> so exactly dumbass bitch. So my allegedly. So <laughs> my whole question is do we need to forgive and forget if people hold their hands up claim responsibility for their actions of things that they've said like this in the past. And also, do we need to forgive Danny Lee because she's now proven that she's 39%? <laughs> um, okay, I'll go. 
first. I, I don't know. I, I can't even laugh. I find it irritating. I just find it really irritating. Mm. Um, uh, forgive her. It's, it's not a question of forgive. It's the fact that the song was rubbish and you played on a situation that's, um, we've had this whole conversation and we've talked about colorism just before. You're playing in a situation, playing in a pool that's a bit murky and sensitive and insensitive and all that type of stuff. So you chose that because you knew you'd get attention. Um, you maybe didn't expect the level of backlash and I don't even know how big the backlash is because I literally have forgotten about her until now. Um, so how, imp- how impactful was that whole situation? It seemed a bit like flash in the pan, but I don't follow her or sphere or anything. So I don't know what's going on. Um, so I feel like whatever. Um, Steph London, I think, is Auntie Charlie's favourite phrase, you shouldn't read the room. So you've been accused of colorism, bef- um, shadism, colorism before. You did do it. It wasn't years ago. You know how the internet stays. It's a sensitive topic. And you're actually riding for someone who played with the colorism issue again for clout, attention or whatever and had an intensive reaction so then you ride supporting her in public, which you have every right to do if you want to, but I just don't, and I think being on the front foot of saying, well, I know you're going to pull it up, so I'm going to, it's just defensiveness to me. So I don't, she can do what the hell she wants. I genuinely don't even care. I think that's where my son, I don't give a damn. Um, forgive, it depends on the person, depends on the situation, whether I forgive you or not, whether I think your apology is genuine. These are the things we have to take into account. Um, as for Danny Lee being 40%, if you're 40%, are you going to live? No, 30. 39. Sorry, 39. If you're going to. Because she said 40 at first, yeah, and then she had strange. to come back and say, 39. actually, no, it's, it's 39. And it's of all these little different parts. And so my point is, are you going to live? Are you going to acknowledge all these little West African countries that you're a part of? Are you going to now live as a black woman or a West African woman now? Because you're claiming that to prove a point that you're not playing with shadism or colorism. You're now an African woman um, of percentage. And so are you going to live like that? Are you going to join the struggle? Are you going to sit down with us, Candy, some Rochelle, and have an honest conversation about shade? <laughs> are you going to do that? And let, other than that, your 39% means fuck all to me. And general story, who you are, means I don't care. Auntie Nana. Um, I think if the apology um, is really honest and depending on what you've done, I think there's there's either you have a conversation, like an open forum conversation that can that can then we can all ascertain whether or not you're really you're really sorry and you've put yourself out there or you have the conversation and you pay damages to certain individuals that you've hurt. So that's either if you've done something to black women, that a portion of your money has to go to various charities. And we have to see that you are actively um, using your wealth and your position to help a community that you, um, you abused. Then I'm, I'm more open to forgiveness. Other than that, no, it's just lip service. And Steph London to me, it, it, everything she does is just a bit of lip service. Like, I, I don't think she's sorry about anything, really. Um, and Danny Lee, her 39%, I'm, I'm wondering if she's going to have a chat with her parents because both of them look mighty white. So I'm thinking her dad is somebody else if she's actually like 39% black. I don't think it's the man that she's been saying is her dad. But yeah, that's that's the extent of um, my thoughts on Danny Lee. Auntie Shade. Um, God, Danny Lee, whatever her name is. She just, to be honest, she, she's just so, so on the, low, the radar. It's, it's, 
ridiculous like i just don't care about your existence like i just don't like i just like you just don't have enough talent to, to impact my life exactly. you know what i mean so like no i don't care at all um steph um i actually like like steph kind of i like what she represents for the uk in the music world um but it's all a bit performative to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, are oh, you guys, I don't know, going to be label mates or something? Is she going to be mm. in your video? Like, what the hell is it? Like, do you know what I mean? Your boyfriend's friends, like, what the, what, what is behind this? Or if you really just, like, got really poor judgment, you just didn't need to get involved in this conversation at all. And it's just like, to be honest, like, you got other things to worry about, mate. Like, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, this is the least of your problems, man. Do you know what I mean? So I don't even know why you're jumping onto this. It's just ridiculous. And it's just like, you know, she's like, what 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 she's doing by that is almost like her boyfriend who says, you know, I told you what I'm like. So just do all it, do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. No. I think her boyfriend did say that. Huh? <laughs> I think her boyfriend did actually say those words. Oh, serious. Well, that's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm telling you what I'm like. Like, <laughs> he's got is, lyrics, but he says that. This is the thing. So, like, I feel like uh, I, I just think it's just a bit. Um, does she deserve forgiveness? Um, I think it's down to the individual, um, like whether that person deserves the f- forgiveness, because someone who is not affected by colorism might forgive her because it just doesn't affect them do you know what i mean and someone who is might not because it does affect them do you know what i mean and they can potentially see or look and see like okay how many dark-skinned people do you have around you how do you interact with them how do you treat them on a daily basis how do they show up in your world to know whether what you're saying is genuine or not do you know what i mean so like i think it's um what do you put it i think it's uh down to the individual I don't think you should never ever like it's just like when 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 people go to prison and they're just like free so and so it's just like no 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 what do they do how does that relate to me first of all before I start supporting anyone um do you know what I mean? like I think it's yeah I think it's really down to the individual um in this case I don't know I think yeah like I said I, I just don't think she needs it to be in this conversation Auntie Farah yeah, I mean, if you, I don't understand why now as well. And you're so right. Is it because they're lining up to do something later? So she's trying to smooth things out a little bit because this Danny Lee thing was weeks ago. So why are you talking about it now? Like what's happened for you to talk about it now? Like she says, um, can everyone just be nicer? She's seen Danny Lee's being dragged enough. And as a woman, it makes her sad. That's when people started pulling out the Nikki receipts um, as a side note and saying, look at the shit you said about Nikki. You're not all less support women. But um, yeah, I just I just don't understand why she said it now. In terms of forgiveness, I think she made those comments when she was 19. She was old enough to know better. But at the same time, she's grown a lot more. The, the person you are at 19 and the person you are at 29 is a different person. However, it's like you said, Auntie Nana. I think you said it, Auntie Nana. You've got to look at who she surrounds herself with now, how she represents herself, how she represents black people in general, and, you know, whether or not she's riding off the coattails of, not coattails, rising off the the privileges 
of being a lighter skinned woman. That's what you need to look at now. And yeah, she didn't really read the room because this is one that she didn't need to talk about. She could have shut the fuck up and no one would have been throwing receipts in the air at her. However, maybe she's doing this because she needs to get a bit of publicity out there herself. Who knows? Um, as for Danny Lee, oh, shut the fuck up, man. Seriously, do one. Like, be quiet. You said it so well, Auntie Shade. I don't care about your existence. And it's like, just stop talking because no one cares. Oh, you're 39%. Are you going to go to all these countries and are you going to donate to all these countries? Are you going to perform in all these countries? Are you going to, what are you going to do now that you found out? Are you going to go and research all these countries? What are you going to do? And then you came out and you was like, actually, no, it's not 40, it's 39. Oh, please just be quiet because you did a DNA test. Doesn't, doesn't, um, what's the word? Wash your sins away of your dumb song that you made and the connotations that it had. And it also doesn't absolve you of all the shit that you said once people showed you that you were wrong. It just doesn't. So, yeah, she don't need forgiveness. Would Stephanie apologising if she weren't famous? Well, that's the other thing. We don't know, though, do we? We'll never know. Because there's people that said there's people that said shit when they were younger and they're not famous and they don't feel like that now. So we'll never know. I was, I was going to say that actually Steph jumping on this particular conversation undermines her apology a little bit because it's like this whole thing that you've been accused on people actually have that in the forefront of mind that you're someone that had those kind of shadism, colorism thoughts and you've apologized, fine, could have left it there. Now you've just come to support someone that blatantly did the shadism thing or played off it to make money or make get attention. So you coming to this particular person's defense you didn't come for Rochelle's defense, or did she? I didn't see, like, that would have been a worthy light-skinned woman to defend if you're talking about let's not da 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 That's a conversation. That's a different thing. But you came for this woman who de- definitely played up this thing, so that kind of undermines your apology. So maybe you still have some resi- res- residual thoughts, and this is where with that conversation about colorism comes in, because you might have validation, because she said, I saw that the reason why she responded in that way was because the dark-skinned girl came for her. This is a conversation that we've been talking about. So you, she might have been justified in her retaliation, maybe not what she said, but she might have her experiences of being a light-skinned woman feeling on the back foot and feeling attacked because she's light-skinned. That's fair. But you siding with someone who's exploited this narrative undermines your apology. It makes me think that actually you don't, you haven't necessarily changed your thought process and you just be more careful about it in, 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 well, less careful, I guess. So I don't really, I'm not sure if I believe the apology either, to be honest. Let's get some comments. Okay, we have Candy says, Steph could have left it alone, man. Um, go do your song with Danny Lee and give Rachel Dolezal some work by putting her in your video too. And then she goes on to say, oh, and put Zoe Zald- Zaldana, is it Zaldana? in your video too. <laughs> this is a thing. This is a non-entity of a situation. Okay. <clears throat> oh, gosh. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry, my screen's gone mad. Oh, no. Sorry. Right. Now it's time to read a message from our sponsors. Don't let our London twang fool you. We are international and nationwide. So although we represent Ghana, Nigeria and Grenada, we also reflect the lived experience of black people across the UK. When people think black in England, they automatically think London. But London is not the only place where you can find black excellence. No, no. There are black people across the whole of the UK. 
Like young entrepreneur in Imelda Fossu from the North, she is a 25-year-old entrepreneur who is launching an innovative campaign to encourage Yorkshire and North England residents to follow their dreams and start their own businesses. The hashtag Yorkshire Create Scheme is calling for aspiring business people in Yorkshire and surrounding counties to submit their business ideas. The winner will be awarded a £25,000 services package, regular mentorship from Imelda and expert support to take their idea from inception to full launch. If you are from the north of England, not just Yorkshire, but also Doncaster, Manchester, Scotland, or you know an entrepreneur from that area, let them know about Yorkshire Create and get them to enter today. The deadline is 31st of March and the form is super simple. Visit www.yorkshirecreate.co.uk for full details. That's Yorkshire Creates, www.yorkshirecreates.co.uk. Thank you very much. And on that note, if you'd like to sponsor your aunties, never, if you'd like to advertise with us, let us talk about your goods and your wares and the services that you're providing, please get in touch. Email us at info at thebritishblacklist.com. Thank you. Thank you. Jingle, 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 soundbite, soundbite. Um, okay, now moving we, on. We will get some jingle, jingle soon. I though, feel like there needs but... to be like a music break there. <laughs> um, now <laughs> I mean, plagiarism and shit. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> um, auntie's no best. Auntie's no best. You see what I, I have? A... Come on, what? sorry. <laughs> my jingle, jangle. Aunties know best. You know why we know best? Because we're aunties and we've lived life and we have experience and we know stuff and we give you all the best advice. But warning, with this advice comes a warning. We are not qualified psychotherapists, therapists, scientists, evangelists or anything. We are women <laughs> who live life and have things to say and can give you advice. So you take our advice with a pinch of salt. But also, I mean, it's good advice, though, so you can go for it. But we do not accept any responsibility if Things go left because you, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. Who's got a problem that needs to be solved? I Who do. Was, you said it first, so Auntie Farah, and then if we've got time, we shall come to Auntie Nana. Okay. So this is a problem that somebody told me, okay? So uh, this young lady is about to turn 30, and unfortunately, it's before Boris lets the lockdown barriers drop, and she wants to turn up with her friends. So she is planning to have a little secret party. Um, the problem is, so she's going to have a little secret party in a secret location with maybe about 20 of her peeps to celebrate her turning 30, hands in the air, all that stuff, right? So the problem is, on her actual birthday, her family are going to throw her a dinner. So like her immediate family, she lives on her own. It's all fine because they're her support bubble, so she can do that. So they want to throw her a dinner party. Now, her parents are of an older age who could be deemed as vulnerable. So she wants to know, should she let her parents throw her this dinner party? And if she does, should she tell them that she's about to turn up the day before with 20 randoms that she knows? Why? Why doesn't she just do the party the day after the dinner party? Because she can't. I think... The dinner's on a Sunday. The party's on a Saturday. She can't do... Yeah, she she just can't. Um, I, I, Sorry, I, I feel like I just want to answer and just... Your parents, parents are vulnerable, potentially vulnerable, then you need to really consider them. They should come first. Mm. And um, you can turn up, turn up, turn up, but are those when I, I just I don't know if, if if your parents are vulnerable and you need to uh, if your parents are vulnerable love 
then that's it. Unless you can guarantee that everyone at that party is going to have COVID tests. You, you can't guarantee but, nothing. It's just a party, isn't it? Just do it the next Saturday. It's really not that deep. <laughs> <laughs> Auntie Shade, and Auntie Nana, I mean, yeah. To be honest, you can't have the party. You're putting your parents at risk. It's really, I know someone just said it, like really irresponsible behavior, really selfish. Like, if a week isn't going to make much of a difference. At the end of the day, you probably have, you've you had 29 birthdays. Before, <laughs> probably going to have some more. Do you know what I mean? Like, a couple of days ain't going to hurt, mate. Like, don't put other people at risk for your own selfishness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just not worth it. It's like, it's a week. Have your dinner on the Sunday. Do your party the following Saturday or the Saturday after then. Like turning 30 is not that big a deal, really. But if you could, you you know, it's not even just COVID though. You could pass on anything. If they're vulnerable anyway, in this climate, there's so much fear. It's like you don't need to be adding to to it in any way like just give it give it a give it away it's like 20 people it's not that big a deal you could just do it after june the 21st and celebrate your 30th it really isn't that big a deal like there's there's no point if there's any type of i don't know what could be any type of major reason that she could come back with then if you if you like have a conversation with your parents say parents can we have this party on this day and I do this on this day. I have an open conversation about moving your parents so your parents aren't at risk. It's not that big a deal, but if for some reason you feel so compelled, maybe someone's going to be there that can't be there at another day, or whatever the case is, if you feel that there's, this party is so significant, move, ask your parents to move the dinner, if, that be, if that's fair, if that's something. Because the whole thing is don't put your parents at risk for a damn ton up. Come on. <laughs> um, let's get some comments. Pretty much the same. Uh, father oh, hasn't spoken. Yeah. Did you know your feedback? Sorry, my love, because I forgot. How many weeks in a row is that now? Hmm, anyway. oh, I <laughs> no, I agree with you all. She can she can postpone this. She doesn't need to have it. I, I get in an ideal world, if this wasn't, if we weren't going through a pandemic and all this shit wasn't happening to us, I understand why she wants to have a party on a Saturday and see her family on her actual birthday. I get that. But it is just not worth it. It's not worth it for what could happen. All it takes is for one person to be ill. They could even just be ill with, like Auntie Nana said, they could have anything. They could have a chicken pox. They could have anything. So it, it's just not worth it. Just wait. Like, wait until you can have a proper non-secret thing with your friends. The other thing is, nothing's really that secret. Wherever you go, police might come and you might get arrested and then you might get a fine and then you've got that as your 30th birthday present. Why not just wait? Just wait. Either do it the week after or wait until Boris gives us the okay. That's what I've got to say. Exactly more. Come on. Okay. So um, we have uh, Kemi says irresponsible behavior. Candice says nope. Ronald says have the party the Saturday after the dinner. And Candice said milestone birthdays require you to have several celebrations throughout the year anyway, for real. And Kemi says yes, at least a month. Definitely. Well, that's that then. Do we have time for another one, Auntie Four? Yes, we do. Auntie Nana. Yes. Okay. All right. So my one is... Okay. So this one's from the internet. A few days ago, I met a guy. We are both interested in each other. He has been single for a while and is seeing an older woman who he is intimate with. They are not looking to take things serious. 
He said he is looking for something serious, but will continue to see her until he meets someone that he can build with. He said he wanted to be transparent with me, which I appreciate. Should I date him and see where things go? I'm so confused. Ah, mate. Okay, so he's being honest with the woman that he's seeing, the older woman who he's intimate with, and he's being honest with this new chick. So that's tick, tick. You're being really honest. When you start dating someone, you never really know where it's going to go anyway. Um, I suppose the the question is, if you start dating him, are you then going to want to be intimate with him? And has he said, if you are intimate with him, if he's going to stop being intimate with the other person, or are you happy for him to be intimate with you both? I suppose that's one of the questions. Um, <laughs> there is a part of me that feels like he's got this thing. and This could just be me with my my the way that I think. But what are you doing? You're just waiting until you meet someone who you think is acceptable to you. And in the meantime, you're just going around laying your pee wherever you want. Is that what you're doing? Nah, she's not quite meeting all my requirements, but she's all right for now. But I've told, I've told her that she ain't the one. Like that's a little bit of a, an issue for me. That there, but dating, I suppose, just get everything laid out firstly. Aren't you sure, though? Um, I don't know. I just get the feeling she doesn't really want to date him, and I'm just I'm reading that she doesn't really want to. So don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just think you don't have to. Like, maybe she needs to hear that you don't have to date him. You don't have just because he's being honest with you doesn't mean that the situation is right for you. You know, so um, nah, move on. Make it get a situation that's simpler for you. Yeah, uh, I think I'm inclined to agree. Like what? It's not by force, unless she sees, not even unless, if she, does she see real strong qualities with um, this guy that he's the one and worth exploring? And I am feeling very sensitive about the older woman. What's her situation? How, does she know the coup? Does she know that she's not, has he told her that you're not worthy and I'm still going to fuck you? That situation is very traumatising for some. So is, does she have the full picture of what this guy is doing? Is, does she know that she's on a timeline? that she's just good nookie until he finds someone that he wants to marry and settle down with, which is quite, I think in the black and white of it, it's quite cold. But also if everyone was transparent about their journeys, um, then that's natural. That's what people do is a question. It's really because when you say it black and white, it sounds harsh. Like, look, I know you're not the one, but we really kick it in bed really well. Or I like your company, but I know you're not the one. It's a hard pill to swallow, but if people are more upfront with that, where I find that in, mostly from what I understand from relationships and guys, it's usually guys that are like, don't want to go that extra mile of honesty. So lead people down a garden path thinking that, so the, as the woman you think that you're in a relationship, or the guy will say, I'm not looking for a relationship. I don't want a relationship. And then next minute he's with the next chick and he's in a real coupled up relationship and you're left thinking, well, hold on. You told me that. Da, 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 da. So the black and white honesty of it, if he's told this older woman, like, look, this is just us kicking it. I'm not looking to settle down with you. I just don't think we've got it like that. And he starts dating somebody else. He, I think he should stop dating the older woman um, and stop or stop linking the older woman and present himself as a clean slate to this person that he's saying that he likes. I don't, I don't think it's that deep. And, all, and, if, and it shouldn't be that complicated. And I think, as Auntie Shadow said, it's not that you don't have to go out with him. 
and and unless he's providing you some information that you feel like you can deal with it's a bit of a <clears throat> auntie nana i don't really see this stance as honest at all like i think people are like the, uh, that's the bare crumbs like what he's doing isn't honest he's sleeping with a woman who you don't know you don't know what he's telling her and he's just told you about it a version of this that's not necessarily honest and then he's also being really open-ended with but we could also get into something together and if it goes somewhere then I would stop sleeping with her that's not honest either like you absolutely have no clue where you stand with this guy all you know is he's sleeping with one person that he's told you about that's not honesty. You don't know what he's up to. And I just think, what would be the point in building with some dude who is quite, like, just selfish with his wants and he will just sleep with whoever? Like, so, no, I can't see that would be um, the basis to build with somebody. Even that language, to me, is so phony. Like, oh, I'm looking for somebody to build with. If you're looking for somebody to build with, build yourself and be whole, and then you're going to find somebody who is also whole. But you're sleeping with some older chick who you're like, oh, that means nothing, but I'm still out there looking. Nah, she probably thinks you two are building as well. Like, that I wouldn't trust him. And sounds like a lie. Yeah, it, that's what yeah. I mean. It, to me, there's an air of, you know that guy that, well, I was honest with her, wasn't it? I told yeah. her. There's, yeah. there's an air of that kind of shit, and yeah, she doesn't have to date him. It's like she they just, tell a story, Yeah, and that story has elements of things that you'd be like, oh, that's a bit of a fuckery. So you yes. think that's yes. honesty. And it's like, no, it isn't. He just told you details. And I would think if he's told me this detail, that's probably 10% of the truth. Yeah. And there's a whole 90% that he isn't saying, but that 10% was a bit fuckery. And so you think you've got all of it. And, it's like, no, and then six months not. later, after she's been seeing him and he decides that she's also not the one, he yeah. can move on to the next person yeah. 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 And, and say to her, and, and say that I told you that is what, what do you mean what are we we're nothing because we had <laughs> this conversation yeah. I, i'm looking for somebody to build with and yeah. you're not really I never said person. it was you <laughs> <laughs> well, 90 percent is that the older woman also believes that like she's probably living with her yeah. you know gosh yeah, yeah she's probably paying for shit yeah, she's probably yeah. riding around in her car yeah <laughs> cooking in meals yeah. all sorts of shit yeah oh, he could just be going there and laying the good D every now and again, but she still feels like there's something going in. Yeah. Like they're building. There's lots yeah. of <laughs> behaviour in this guy's behaviour. And, yeah. I know, I, like I said, it's, it's, anyway, I think... Anyway, comments? Uh, we have... Kemi says, give him the laters. And Candy says, but he really... But is he really being tra transparent with the older woman? And there we go. Probably not, is what I say. That, hold on, wait. Oh, we've just had one come in. Uh, here we go. Right, N Nicola says, you really embraced your 50 tonight. Pure mature chat tonight. You even you're even helping big people solving problems. Congratulations on your consistency and amazing podcast. I love it. You've got this. Oh, thank you. And um, Ronald you. says, <laughs> Ronald says, he's not honest. He knows that she will find out about the older woman anyway. Also, I don't like 
that the other woman is disposable because of her age. Mate, yes, on it. Yes, <laughs> and, um, Nikolai, you know, when I read the top line, I was like, 50s, we ain't 50 out here, but then I realized episodes are 50s. Yes. <laughs> we are entering into our 50s, <laughs> yeah, episodic wise. Yeah, mate. 40s, mate. Okay, cool, guys. Let's move on to for the culture. And I'm so sorry. I know that sounds abysmal, but you all get what we were trying to do. You guys were shaking your asses. <laughs> There was some twerking in the seats as you were listening to the. Okay, let's crack it. Let's crack it. I don't know why I've got crack on the mind now. Thanks, Dr. Carl. Um, <laughs> for the culture. So, for the culture, quick things. Not even Dr. Umar Johnson, who's aware of the Pan African Hotel? Oh, oh, cool, Dr. Umar. He has been around for time, for years and tears, talking about black empowerment, preaching and telling us how to be unified and our Pan Africanism and unity and Umoja and. All this stuff. <laughs> However, recently I shall play the ch the track. I can't play all of it because it's long and it's stupid. But and but I'll play this a bit. He's talked about our our nephew, cuz Daniel, our Kilua. beloved, our beloved Daniel Kaluuya, the the hold on, the Golden Globe Award winning mm -hmm. Daniel Kaluuya, the Oscar nominated Daniel Kaluuya. Um, you know, he's decided to talk about him today, uh, or whatever. About him, and I'm just going to play his his, his commentary. He's talking about Daniel Kluwer, right? He's biologically African. Is he psychologically a Pan-Africanist? I don't know. Maybe he's on some British tribalism. I don't know. If he is, he don't need to be playing no ancestors of mine, right? But if the brother has a Pan-African mindset, I'm good. Okay, I'm a little concerned because I see in his interviews he like emphasizing that British accent. I'm a little concerned about that because no African playing African heroes should be emphasizing a British accent in an interview. That's not an African tongue. That's not an African tongue. The reason you speak that tongue is because the British came into your ancestral homeland of Uganda and colonized it. They went into the Caribbean islands and colonized it. So we should not be emphasizing British tongue. So that gives me a little, I'm a little concerned that he may just be a black British Negro making money in Hollywood. I hope that's not the case. I hope he has a pan-African consciousness. I have no problem with Africans in the diaspora playing my heroes if they consider themselves to be one of me. If they consider themselves to be one of the global African family, I have no problem with it. But if they see themselves as different, they have no business playing heroes of mine. Okay, so, uh, sorry. Ooh, now, ooh, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I let it play because... He, so he's talking about um, Daniel Clear playing Fred Hampton, the chairman of Fred Hampton, uh, Illinois chief of the Black Panther Party, who was murdered by the FBI. And it's, he's portraying him in Judas and the Black Messiah, which will be out in the UK one day soon. They haven't worked out the release date. Women, aunties, I know what I want to say. What the hell do you want to say in response to everything, Dr. Umar? I'm even pissed that I w I'm going to have to wait till last. But go on. <laughs> you want to go first. I, I, you're all going to say everything I want to freaking say. 
Go. Um, I don't even know who to go for. Whoever, who, who's incensed first? Go on, Auntie Farah. I am incensed by the <laughs> way that he's emphasising his disdain for Daniel talking in a British accent all the while talking the English language in his American accent. Exactly. I have great disdain for him saying that if you're British and you're black, that you can't be Pan-African and you can't embrace your blackness. Like, what, what, what the fuck, man? What the fuck? That's what, like, I'm so infuriated by him. And the thing is, yeah, I don't know enough about this man. Hands up, I don't know enough about this man. I have been told that he's a brilliant man and, and, and says a lot of good, great fucking shit, but equally says a lot of nonsense. So what I got today from him was nonsense. You can't talk about talking in a British accent and then say that in your American accent. <laughs> speaking English. <laughs> not speaking English. The language is called English. It's not called British. The language that we all share... It's called English. What the fuck do you think you're speaking? Do you think you're speaking American? Do you think American is a language? Is that what you think? Like, how the hell? He's from here. The next thing, if Daniel started speaking in an American accent all the time, people would be saying, he's not even an American. Why is he speaking an American accent? He's not even an American. Like, he's from fucking England. And you know why I'm even more infuriated? Because every time I hear Daniel speak, it just warms my heart and I just feel like this man speaks so eloquently and he embraces his, his all his cultures and he doesn't shy away from the fact that he is from London and he's going to chat in a London accent and he's going to say certain things. That's the, what's the, what's the problem? He didn't even say, well done. Congratulations to the brother who performed so beautifully. Like he, t there was nothing. It's just like, please, I beg, you can't expect me to listen to what you're saying whilst you're emphasising in your American twang, but at the same time, you're criticising someone who emphasises when they speak. It makes no sense to me. It makes no fucking sense to me. And the thing you said about they went and colonised fucking the Caribbean, bruv, they took us from Africa. They they took us from Africa. I don't think, I, I, I honestly, when he said that, I was just like, do you know where Uganda is? Because it's just like, it just came straight after, just like, Uganda's not in the Caribbean, babe. First of all, learn, learn how to pronounce it properly. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Learn how to pronounce Daniel's name. Do you know what I <laughs> mean? Like, I'm just like, wait, what are you actually saying? So if he's in an interview emphasising his British-born accent, um, <laughs> He's not in character, you know, babe. Do you know what I mean? Like he's being himself. Like he's not. He's not acting when he's in the interview. There is a difference, and it's just like, what is British tribalism? Have no idea what that is. <laughs> like, have no idea. I've never heard of that phrase before. Like if you know anything about the black community in Britain, like you know how multicultural we literally actually are. Do you know what I mean? We don't have that. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. I just think it's really xenophobic. That's what I think it is kind of thing. I think it's really dangerous kind of rhetoric, to be honest. I think like, how the hell can you tell Africans to be pan-African? It's ridiculous. Like, I just think that is just, abs like, like I can't express how ridiculous that is. 
Like you, as an African American, are telling Africans what they should, what kind of African they should be. Are you mad? Like, are you crazy? You're you're out of your mind. I just can't. And I just think like, I think he just wants he just wants black people to show up according to the way he sees things. And I do think, and I'm going to be careful here because obviously. Not every American thinks like this at all. Not every black American thinks like this. But there is this growing kind of rhetoric that is coming out within the, the black American community that seems to be like like only seeing things from the black American perspective. Like black America is the center of all black people. No, it's not. Do you know what I mean? Like actually, to be honest, you guys all come from Africa. You come from where we're from. Do you know what I mean? So, like, maybe maybe learn from us a little bit. Maybe don't talk on things you, you don't know properly. Maybe do that. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, <laughs> not. maybe don't say anything. I don't know why you are the judge and jury of what it, he should be, how he should show up in the world. Who are you? No, nah, I, I was just so incensed, I think it was. Um and also, I think it's just such a cheap shot to come for someone like Daniel. And also, like, when you've got people like Daniel and John Boyega, who really and truly are the pinnacle of their career, they have the most amount of press, they're doing, you know, they're getting, like, great awards, they're doing great work kind of thing. And they're actually standing up, they're talking out, they're making a change within our community kind of thing. They're taking the risk when they're in the spotlight, which other people, a lot of black actors do not do this, but they're taking the risk in doing it. How dare you come for them? No, 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 no. You shouldn't, you, you can't, you can't come for someone like Daniel. You just can't. You can't. The guy's doing everything right. How can you come for him? Exactly. He's not like, he's not a sloppy guy. Do you know what I mean? Is when he's talking, he's talking freaking sense, you know? Nah, it's, 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 it's actually disrespectful. And I think he's going to hold such an L for this one. It's unbelievable. I think this is going to take them back a bit. And maybe this is the humbling that they need to understand. Do you know what I mean? That the world doesn't revolve around your experience. It really doesn't. And there's other black... T- there's, we are not a monolith. We're just not. Do you know what I mean? The black experience is multifaceted. It comes from different cultures. So let's just relax on that. And I just think my last point is just that. No, he did, they just need to do better. They just need to do better. When um, I know we can't talk about it at the moment, but I want to. I want to. I want to feel this kind of energy. Yeah, when um, Black, coming to America comes out, that's what. Because <laughs> you guys from your bullshit. Yes, you're talking the most. You be talking. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. yes. You say with your bullshit, we talking the most. So I want to feel that. I want to see the energy when that comes out and see what we've got to say. Foolish, Auntie Nan. You're not taking all my lyrics. Go on. Oh, a Doctor Uma. Um, <laughs> he's so dumb. It's like he's like the. I don't even know how to describe him. Sometimes he can be so on point, but I would say the majority of the time. Um, the, for the last maybe two, three years, he's just been chatting shit, like constantly, and he gets it wrong. Because you, all you need to do is watch one interview of Daniel on this press run, and you would know he absolutely has fundamental Pan-African ideals. He absolutely subscribes to a, a global diaspora of Africans. Like It's like, what are you even talking about? So... 
and that whole Britishness and the accent is so foolish. I can't even believe that I even posted this video. It's like that point was ridiculous. Like, how did you really want him to talk? And then how you want him to talk is how you, Dr. Umar, who says that you've traveled around the world, you should be speaking in Swahili. Really? Like, so this this deliverance of the message in an American accent is as folly as you've made out Daniel speaking with a British accent. Like, it's like, you're so dumb. And all I want Dr. Umar to do is open the school and have a few years graduate and then I will start to listen to you again. But before that happens, at this moment, he is like on that area of con man. He's, he's in that space. And it's, it's like, no, nah. for somebody that says he is the ancestor of a um, distant relative of, of Frederick Douglass and all of these other claims that he has, and he is the most prominent Pan-Africanist since Mar Marcus Garvey, it's like you're making a mockery of uh, an ideal that Kwame Nkrumah brought to to the forefront. Like you're actually making a mockery of this each time you talk and you must be quiet until you deliver on this school. I fully, 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 fully agree because this school that has been what he's, he's now come out of a statement say it took five years. He reckons he's got a location or now the location. The school's supposed to open August 2020. Didn't open August 2020. Pandemic aside, you, it just wasn't ready. People have, you crowdfunded. People gave money. Donate, you, even from the blessed UK, I'm sure yeah. UK people, black people with British accents, <laughs> I bet you didn't turn down their money when they were delivering it with their British accent. Did you say, well, can I, I can't accept this because you're not acknowledging your actual ancestral roots and voice and vocals. Did you reject that money? No, you didn't. And I know UK people that were hoodwinked into donating to your school that hasn't appeared all now, doctor, that has been, you know, dispute whether you're a doctor and all that type of stuff. You're not, and the family of Frederick, Frederick Douglass has also disputed your claim to be an ancestral descendant of him too. You have too many things. You were caught with a stripper and that's not... <laughs> A thing against a stripper it's a thing against you because you're talking about black families and black unities you have whole conversations about black fathers the absence of black fathers the importance of black fathers the importance of black women and their mothers and raising kids and, and upholding them but yet you diss this woman who was a stripper you dissed her you talk about women that um have ulterior lifestyles and are a bit forth um, in the forefront or owning their sexuality that's damaging to the community. But you were caught with a stripper though, and you didn't marry her though. You didn't. You didn't. You took the coochie from a woman who had a child. You didn't. You weren't responsible there though, were you, Dr. Uma? So now this tribalism, this accent thing, I mean, it actually just be betrays how ignorant some people can be about other cultures. You're a doctor. How dare you speak on a platform without research, without in being in for your fucking doctor. You have no, there's no grounds for you to make a mistake on your commentary. A Pan-African doctor of psychology or whatever the frick you are, you're supposed to know that there are people in the UK with accents. You should know that if you're growing a country, you develop an accent. And what even makes this so dumb is the fact that Daniel speaks like, um, he's, he's got the, sla the slanguistics. He speaks black English, uh, for what, lack of a better phrase. He doesn't speak. If he was speaking like this and talking like the Queen and, and Prince Charles and all that type of stuff, then you might even have a problem. You might even marginally be able to say, 
Why is he speaking like the wills or the establishment? If he affected the voice, if you'd seen Daniel talking like, yeah, man, well gone. And then in interviews, he's like, yeah, so, so my name is this. And I do that. Well, we then, would call him out for it. We would call him out for it. Exactly. Before you. But, you, but first of all, he hasn't done that. He's spoken as Daniel from the round away. And he, he actually brings our linguistics, like whoever said that. It just warms your heart hearing him because it's London. It's us. It's the same way you hear you guys rep your states. Um, Black American people rep their states to the death, like it's like their state is their state. So if you're from Carolina, you're from East, from your, you're from New York, you're from LA. That twang, that accent, you lot, are, you, you tune to it. So that's your thing. This is how we feel about how Daniel's talking, talking like us, because he grew up in an area where we're from. So his identity is not affecting. He's oh my god, you're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and also and as a Pan African and, and 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 Daniel, as if you guys have said, he's on every he's doing every freaking thing right. Man works with black folks. He gives like he collaborates with black folks. Even when Charlemagne came for Lakeith, he defended fucking African American Lakeith Stansfield when people are coming for him. He defended his brother in his colleague when people are dissing Lakeith or whatever. And even wasn't Lakeith in a clubhouse, the, the Adas Clubhouse kind of yeah. in the very, very early days. So Daniel mm-hmm. even had the good grace right. to freaking defend someone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. we, we have a word for people like this and we call them dotish. <laughs> and that is what he is. He's just dotish. Because how you can come out, as you said, you're a doctor and you don't recognise that you take the accent from where you are. Facts. Shut the fuck up in your English American. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you've come to London, you've been to London, you've actually had people yeah. to buy your tickets to hear you speak. So you know how London people speak. Come on, don't try it. When we pay the money, well, we, not I, when people pay the money to watch you to come to your talk in London, and you had probably had meet and greet to make more money because you know how to make a bit of money, don't you? You yeah. love British pound and all the money that come to you. So I'm sure you had meet and greets. Did you say to them, why the hell? You, did you say to everyone that came and met you, why are you not speaking in your, what did you say, Uganda, Uganda, and you're <laughs> fucking up the man's name? You're supposed to be a Pan African. Right. You rep it. You, you know rep- what I mean? And he said it repeatedly, repeatedly. And you respect he's acting like, he's acting like he's an expert, but he's an expert in nothing. What he's an expert in is freaking conning people. That's yeah. basically yeah. it. Yeah. Kind of viewpoint of things, and it's just it's just nonsense. Like you're you're just literally promoting a crab in a barrel kind of um, situation. It's just like what I thought we were supposed to be bringing people together. I thought you yeah. couldn't. I thought we couldn't like smash the 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 system without everyone working together. But you want to make us the enemy? You fucking out of your mind. What's wrong? Yeah. Like guys like him are in ten years. You'll find out that he's working for the fucking FBI. That's yeah. oh, oh Judas. He's definitely Judas, mate. The fact that he said if he's just a black British Negro. What the fuck? What, what is that? that? You know why? What is he's, that? Trying that? he's trying to call him a coon. And the thing is, this British child, like, this is why he doesn't oh, know anything. Is he, but is it that he's calling a, 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 it? Uh, yeah, it Go on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All exasperated from this fucking man because this goes to show even more. It's so offensive. It's uh, everything that he was saying. It was just offensive on so many levels, and it was ill-informed. Do you know what I mean? Like you're coming with authority, another problematic black man with a fucking platform chatting shit, chatting absolute shit. 
With authority, yeah. people follow what you're saying, and people are going to be like, "Yeah, it's true." And anyone, anyone who likes that video, who commented in agreement, you're a foolish mother effer too. You're a dumbass. Just come to London and tell us now, because he's basically saying, um, "Daniel should speak with an African accent." Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is what I'm saying. Like, but what? Like, you, you have no understanding of how it actually works. Do you know what I mean? Like, I no understanding of Black British culture. Yeah, and how you even come to Britain in the first place. Do you even know that? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you even know what the journey is? Do you know how we freaking got here? Do you here? know that? Auntie, Auntie Sade, does he know the fucking journey? Does he, he understand the fucking journey? journey? Seriously, and you don't even know how we're connected to you. So fuck off. Like, I swear to God, man. You know what? You like, don't be the worst thing ever. You can't tell me <laughs> anyone anything because he doesn't know. He's just, he played himself so much. You just paid him because it's actually, you don't know global anything. You don't know pan-African anything. anything. You deny the black British experience. You're not a pan-African. You're not. Right. Exactly. exactly. And let's not forget the line he said later on that he didn't play where he was talking about it doesn't sit well with him that these British black people are representing his black ancestors. His black ancestors. That's what I'm saying. That, that's counter to that's being okay. a pan-Africanist. That's what I'm trying that's to say. That's to what I was going to say, It doesn't mean anything. Two do not equate. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. And, and, and then... To depict, oh. Anyway, okay, let's get some comments. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> there's quite a few that came in. Um... Uh, all right, where does it start from? Okay, so Nicholas says, jealous, green with envy, wow. Love says, somebody mute this Hotep's mic. <laughs> Nicholas says, what about his freaking accent? Uh, Mr. Tang says, I popped out for a while and come back to hear this Uncle Hotep. What the hell? Uh, Candy says... Wait, ain't they? Ain't he there talking with an American colonizer's accent? Yes. And uh, Mr. Tang says, we love Daniel. Um, Winnie says, I actually like Umar. On this occasion, he is over his head. Why are you not speaking with an African accent? He has a British accent because he was born in Britain, because he was born in yeah, because he was born in Britain. Pan-Africanism is nothing to do with your accent. It's to do with your values. Daniel is actually a cool guy and understands the, tr the struggle. Kudos to Daniel in every way. Uh, Nicholas says, please click this section and send it to him. Mr. Tang says, did Auntie Sade just say foolish goat? And uh, Candy says, yes, Auntie Shade, I'm so tired of African-Americans not grasping that the black experience doesn't start and end in America. I'm going to say it. They are way behind over there on this one. Uh, Nicholas says, breathe, Auntie AK. Uh, Mr. Tang says, Uganda. And Nicholas says, Auntie Shade is shaking heart. <laughs> Ronald says, I think that most Americans, black or white, see America as the centre of everything. Lots of black Americans view British blacks as condescending blacks with snooty British accents who need to be brought down. Uh, Love, Love says, preach, Auntie Sade. And Winnie says, African Americans tend to think the black experience is all about them. And to Ronald's point, um, it is that. It's that thing where you they're assuming 
one accent they don't even haven't even discerned which accent means what they don't know because we know so much we know about whether you're from the east coast or the west coast we can actually we can hear you from the south or the north of america we could we've grown up with that you they haven't grown up with any type of different accents you there's a little south london twang to a west london twang to a north london twang to an east london twang you've got cockney you've got black sanguistics you've got black cockneys you've got all this type of stuff you've got even accents from scotland wales all that type of stuff they don't know how we sound, so they're lumping. But I don't even understand how you can watch Bridgerton and then you can hear Daniel and say that they sound the same. And then <laughs> put them in the same bracket and say that he's speaking the voice of the colonizers. You've got Bridgerton and you've got Daniel and everybody else that speaks like Daniel. And you've got Bridgerton and the like. And you've got the crown. You can hear it and you can see it. So what the hell are you talking about? How does he want him to speak? That's what I've got <laughs> to talk like this. How does he want him to speak and... And show up exactly like him. That's that. That's all it. That's all it is, man. Seriously, because I mean, that, he's different. He don't. He, he don't like it because he can't control that. He don't like it because it's coming through from. It's coming from beyond his his reach almost. So I, I understand. Like, look, it happens when you're in a position of power, and the narrative has been about you. It can be a bit dis or unnerving when some pe- people come up someone else becomes prominent. And I think that's what's happening with some, some black Americans and those who are ADOS aligned, um, the negative parts of ADOS aligned, because you feel this thing where you like, we are the centre, we are the central focus, our narrative, our blackness is what it is. We dictate, and yes, we have, and I think a lot of us acknowledge, Daniel is very gracious in himself in acknowledging where he's learned, what greats he's learned from. He's embracing the whole nature of being in America. He knows he's in a great position being in, and getting jobs in America. But you guys have to understand that our, your story isn't the main story. It has been fed to us and we've been brainwashed by it, but it's not the main story. You must do your research. There are enough shows and people coming out there where you can just pause and have conversations and understand that this is not it. This is not the way forward. This is not black unity at all. It's really annoying. If you look at the, 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 the white side of Hollywood as well, kind of thing, it's just like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's British people all over the place. What's exactly. The, what's, the, what's the problem there? <laughs> it's precisely that. It's like the nature of Hollywood being so um, globally recognised is because they have had actors come from around the world and headed to Hollywood. So the fact that for years, black shows were wholesale sold to French black people, English black people, like literally, and nobody was being like, oh no, but what happened to the black British things being made? How come we're not seeing, they didn't give a shit when you were selling everything to us and we were wholesale consuming it, you didn't care. Now, when the talent is coming over there to partake in the movies, now you want to say something. It's like, that's literally a part of the world. That actually is the the effects of colonialism. Like yeah. It's just how it goes. If you were wholesale taken, sometimes you got to give a little bit back. And that's where we are now. And it's just like, actually, you just have to deal with it because we were consuming your culture on wholesale. And we- now you want to be like, oh, they're taking all our jobs. No, actually, the actors over here have to work so hard to actually get recognised. They're just supremely good actors. And that's what it is. And it's actually in the production. They're like, we want to work with these actors because they are trained on TV, theatre. Like They've just done so much training. It's just easier to work with them. It's like, this is just life. I think, but also, again, it's as we've talked about, 
leveraging your argument and complaints at the talent or the visibility rather than the institution that has perpetuated this because that divide and conquer thing saying that actually British people are better to work with, British blacks are better to work with, they're cheaper, they're better trained. It's comparatively not necessarily true. It's actually, you, they, they treat us as exotic commodities and the people, the indigenous blacks in America as not worth it. They, they've got their own racism. They've got their own racism towards them. The same way in the UK, they've got their own racism to us where we have to go to America to get some recognition before we can even dare to get even a I bit... Think, yeah, I think it's exactly the same. When Americans come over exactly, here... Exactly, exactly. People go crazy for them. It's just exactly, exactly the same. They get paid more for the same as that, like, much more than a black actor exactly. on the same... On the same kind of level do you know what I mean and it's not like the British black actors over there I haven't seen any one of them you guys can correct me if I'm wrong be super arrogant about this you know I haven't seen any one of them throwing their weight around or being disrespectful or anything like that do you know what I mean they could be but they're not doing that they're not even doing that they're more than gracious with the position that they're in do you know what I mean like and and you're respectful and now you want to you want to want to do this nonsense mate you're gonna create, you're gonna create monsters <laughs> when you see the golden globes you know how it was dominated by brits two black brits but the rest were white brits yeah you know what I'm saying? exactly there's been a british white takeover in hollywood for the longest time yes and we understand not to leverage that because we understand privilege is privilege and we know what that is you lot have you got your own little thing going on fine but come on guys let's 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 not be silly out here and dr umar you <laughs> what does Auntie Nana say? He showed his ass. Yes, he did. Yeah, he showed his big freaking hotep ass. Yeah, he did, he did. Okay, we've got any final comments we move on because I could go on just cussing about him, to be honest. <laughs> um, we have Nicholas says, until recently, many Americans did not realise that there were black people in the UK. Also, there is limited number of people over there with a passport. So although he has traveled his mind is still fixed and Sonia says so what does he say about Idris um and Monica says spot on auntie Nana I I don't know why Idris seemed to not have so much heat on her he was one he was American he was American and he was one he was because now there's been like it seems because there's more generation the younger coming through and it seems to be like an influx and there is a lot of um, our stars in America but as we said we we I can't I will repeat and go over this for days until it gets into someone's skull so you must move on to sad mad glad because I'm actually sad mad and <laughs> actually glad I got to get damn chest um, guys what's made you sad mad and glad this week who's ready oh no Ooh. I made myself mad for doing that Auntie Sade um, you know what? The only thing that's given me some sort of reaction is really this Dr. Umar thing, to be honest. Like, that's made me mad. <laughs> it's made me actually mad. A bit angry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, really made me sad. Uh, I'm generally happy with life, so that's made me glad. That's probably about it. I'm trying to think of anything. I had a good day with my family that other day. It's good. That's good. That's nice. Auntie Nana. Um, so what's made me sad was watching, I don't know if it's the latest episode of ZZ Mills speaking to a lady called Sam, who was um, talking about her experience being sex trafficked. Um, and that it was just really sad, but also extremely brave of Sam talking about this because it's such a harrowing story and 
kind of spans over like programs that we would have watched, like, well, not necessarily watched, but have known of um, Babe Station. And she was on there when she was like 16, 17 years old, just kind of being really like involved in a kind of sex cult at one point, but very young age, just getting pushed into a, a lifestyle that she had no, no sense of, no control over. And it took her a really, really long time to get out of. So it was just, it was really sad. And I was proud of her for sharing her story. So that made me sad. Mad was being on Clubhouse and very similar, listening to um, African-American women talking about uh, Black British men who fly them out and bring them to Dubai or over here and basically like um, promise them gifts, but just have sex with them and send them back. And then the uh, Black British women kind of having a go at the African-American women. It was just, oh, it was just a mess on on Clubhouse for the last couple of days. And that was that was maddening. And I am glad. Uh, what were you really glad about? Um, I don't know. I'm just generally in a in a good chipper mood. Um, I'm glad. Um, I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad to be alive. Auntie Farah, I am sad at the passing of Bunny Whaler. Um, oh, who was oh, yeah, really? yeah. I just read about that, um, so I'm sad about that. I am mad as we all are at Doctor K- what's his name Umar unknown. <laughs> don't know much that man there him over there over the pond i'm mad at him and his comments and his ignorance and his ability to just spout tripe um and i am glad for daniel's win and i am very glad for um oh some schools opening i'm also (laughs) glad about the biggie documentary which i watched last night and it is amazing like biggie like is my favorite rapper of all time. And I just, the, the documentary was brilliant because you got to see so many things that you'd never seen before. And it was just like experiencing him from the beginning. You know, it, it, it celebrated his life. It talked about his journey. It talked about everything. It didn't focus on the death, which is what we tend to see nowadays a lot with Biggie Docs. And yeah, it was just brilliant. And it was just amazing to see how talented this man really, really was. And I just absolutely loved it. And I'll probably watch it again. But yeah, that made me very, very glad. Um, what made what's made me so? Actually, as much as I love the Biggie Dog, it made me sad because we were going to talk about it for the culture. Maybe we can pick it up next week because it touched on the way that your environment can dampen your dreams um, and your aspirations. The way that yeah, circumstance can really change the narrative in a direction of someone. Um, and the fact that he was so talented and he was taken out so young and the potential and how, and it's made me nostalgic for that time and that era of music and where I was in that. It just, it just made me nostalgic and a little bit sad as much as it was good. Um, yeah. So the Biggie documentary did that for me. Mad, obviously this nonsense guy, foolish mom, Umar, um, and glad. Oh no. Also sad. Just, I just noticed, and this has been dropped the other no, no, my statue fell over and broke. Oh. It's mad and sad. I don't know when it happened. Um, I can't blame my child because she's not here. So I guess it was me. So I'm mad at myself. It was uh, you. It was always me. And I'm glad I got some really nice flowers from for hosting the Spike Lee 
event and the flowers are really pretty and I haven't said thank you to them for sending them to me so I thought I'd say it thank you Netflix and the flowers are really really beautiful and you did really well you did a brilliant job thank you very much oh did we talk about it have we not oh thank you for everyone who watched it and thank you to Spike Delroy Clark and Terence um for giving me a, a, a chance to have a good conversation I was nervous as hell and it went really smoothly um and it was funny and yeah, thank you to everyone who watched and supported. It's available on YouTube, by the way, now on the British Blacklist YouTube channel. So you can watch it back if you like, and other sh- other things. Um, Shall I do it. the last comment? Okay. Yes, and Nicola says, the schools uh-huh. are opening up glad. Yes. I can't wait. Can I um, wait? Just before we go. I might take, sorry, I was just going to say, on. I might take my daughter there at six o'clock in the morning. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> don't don't mess up my podcast, please. No, don't laugh so hard either. Trust that school. <laughs> um oh, oh, we've got one more coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so Antoinette says, glad for life, health and family, and you aunties, of course. Mad that the press are getting to halt the Oprah interview with Meghan and Harry out of respect for Prince Philip, who is in hospital. Oh my word, I didn't even know that. They just want to be able to pull the plug and blame Meghan and Harry for the prince's demise. Uh, Donald said, sad, there are over 120 Republican voter suppression laws being proposed. Um, No mad, but kind of glad in 2045, America will no longer be a white majority nation. Whites will only be the largest minority. That's, that's quite interesting. interesting. That's really interesting. We must talk about that. Um, that the documentary that I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, Stacey Abrams' documentary, All In: The Fight for Democracy. I think I said it's available on Amazon. That's a good one. That gives a more um, gives that gives you some background into the voter suppression in America, and it's just obviously racism. Um, and also, I wanted to say that I'm mad that for some reason I broke my James Corden ban to watch his interview with Harry. It reinforced that he's a whack presenter, in my opinion. But I wanted, to, for something, I just wanted to hear from Harry's perspective. I don't even care about the royals like that. But I really wanted to hear what Harry had to say, and I watched it. But it reinforced, like, James, you're so, so lucky. So, so, so freaking lucky for your position. Um, I did not know that Oprah's conversation had been halted. And well, they're saying they're trying to. Antoinette has just come back and said they're I trying to halt it. I don't know how the two correlate. because At all. Because... He hasn't got COVID yet. Will and Kate did a conversation about encouraging people to get the vaccine. And the Queen joined a Zoom to have a conversation about the COVID and stuff like that. So if Prince Philip hasn't had um, COVID, it doesn't, isn't in hospital because of that, then this should also be insensitive because any type of press or any type of attention, any type of conversation, you guys should all be quiet because you're respectfully... Do you know what I mean? Is that- He's 99 years old, though. Like, it's like it's like they said they're just gonna wait for him to pop his clogs and they're gonna blame Harry and Meghan. It's gonna be Harry and Meghan's fault. Some way, somehow, it's gonna be Harry and Meghan's fault. It's like how he's so old. Every day is an absolute blessing that this man is still like able to wake up. Really, he's ninety nine and he's looked like death walking for twenty odd years. <laughs> so it's just like, come on now. Lots to say, lots I won't say. And <laughs> do you know what's pissed me off? I just have to let you guys understand this is what pits, pisses me off. It's pissed me off for many times. It's pissed me off since mobile phones have become a thing. 
I really don't like people that don't know how to use headphones. And do you know what? I, you know, you're on the tube and you're scrolling through. Where's your headphones, please? Get some of my nerves. Um, but also what I think is even worse is when we're all in a communal setting and we're all talking and watching TV, but you're going for your phone and every you haven't got your headphones on. Why should I hear your scroll noise? I, I find it really irritating that you're scrolling through, video plays, scrolling through, video plays, but we're in a setting where everyone's talking and we're all watching something or something like that. Why is your phone, why can I hear it? And then I think you're being selfish because imagine if all of us were scrolling through our phone <laughs> and all of our sounds were going and we're trying to talk and we're trying to watch something. Are you like, it's so infuriating I've got it down patterned in my yard that um, when the daughter, like, where's your headphones? I just have to look and she'll be like, okay. And I'm sorry, it might be a bit controlling, but I just ca I can't stand unnecessary extra noise in the background. It really, 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 really frustrates me. Can you find your headphones or put it on silent and wait? Find your subtitles. It's not that deep. Or go in another room. Do you know what? Go in another room if you want to scroll. <laughs> if you don't want to join the conversation and you don't want to watch what's being watched, go in another room and then scroll. I actually agree with you. I don't Thank like that. you. I call it noise pollution. There's no noise yes. in my house or in my in my presence. Doesn't yes, sir. And I don't mind mistakes. Sometimes happen. Oh, sorry. And then you turn it down. Get your headphones. Do that. Don't just keep scrolling and sitting there. I don't want to hear because because you think I want to like. Oh, what's that? No, I don't want to know. I don't because <laughs> you invaded my privacy. Sh pause. Show me. Oh, look at this. Okay. Don't just try and catch my attention. Oh, this is funny. And you're laughing and reacting and we're watching stuff and we're talking and you're laughing and reacting to something and you're fucking fun. No, no, stop. <clears throat> that was Your Aunties Could Never, episode <laughs> 51. 51, 51. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching. Oh, Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram and we're here every Tuesday at... 5 p.m. via Facebook Live or by, via YouTube Live. And don't forget, if you want to sponsor with us, if you want to advertise with us, this is an option that you can now do. Please email us at info at thebritishblacklist.com. We will get back to you with the swiftness. <laughs> pause. And um, <laughs> actually, wait a minute. Does that piss you off now because I said pause? I'm not American. No, because it, if you had said we'll get back to you with a, sniff, a swiftness inside or some type of sexual innuendo, and then you said pause, that would be Whoa. absolutely okay. ridiculous. But it slightly icked me, but only like a, you know, like a... I mean, the word pause is English. And by the way, because I'm not colonised, I'm allowed to say the word pause. You're actually being Dr. Umar to me right now. You're telling me I can't use English words. <laughs> You can still say pause, but not in the way that a New Yorker says pause. <clears throat> Thanks, guys. Dame Dash, in it. Dame Dash does that. Yeah, yeah Dame Dash does pause I'm a lot. Channeling, channeling that guy, and that's another conversation. Thank you. Bye, guys. <laughs> bye, bye, guys. <laughs>